It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. This is Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It's great to be with you, as always. By the way, you want to listen to us on the Internet and live stream us, it's LarryKudlowShow.com. LarryKudlowShow.com. Everybody can get it around the country, around the world, throughout the solar system, the Milky Way. Everybody can get it on the Internet. During the week, please join us on Fox Business Network. Fox Business Network, the name of the show is Kudlow, and it is 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. And if for some crazy reason you can't get us or can't be there at 4, just text your favorite 9-year-old. And she will show you how to DVR the show. And you'll never miss a show. You'll never miss a thing. All right. Most Americans doubt their children will be better off. Wow. That was the big headline in a major Wall Street Journal article, lead article. I was talking about a poll, a poll from the University of Chicago called the NORC poll. Most Americans doubt their children will be better off. And the subheading on that was dim view of economy underpins pessimism about the future and record low happiness in the U.S. Again, this is uh, sponsored by the Wall Street Journal, but the poll is the University of Chicago. It's a nonpartisan research group. They do this all the time. And, you know, I hate to see this kind of pessimism. I'm an optimist, congenital optimist. I think you know that. I believe in freedom and free markets. I believe in the American idea. But we're suffering recently. I don't think it's the American people, although they are pessimistic. As I've said before, the decline is in the leadership of this country, namely the Biden administration. And I will say to you, with this poll, and there are other polls out this week showing Biden dropping six, seven, eight points, that um, Biden owns this pessimism. He owns this pessimism. And I think one of the big issues here, he owns the inflation that is haunting middle-class working folks, typical average families, suffering still from inflation which itself came from all these massive spending bills that uh, Biden and the Democrats put together. And it's doing great damage still. Even though the inflation rate has come off a bit, it's still out there. It's the cruelest tax of all. John Maynard Keynes said that. Inflation is the cruelest tax of all. Actually, I'll give you an example of inflationary spending The president says, you know, he's balancing the budget or cutting the deficit. It's just nonsense. Uh, Big Wall Street firm, Big Wall Street firm just did a piece called Inflation uh, Reduction Act, the badly named Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, would cost $1.2 trillion, three times the CBO estimate. It was originally pegged at a little less than $400 billion. And uh, Goldman Sachs has looked at it, and they've come up and said, nope, it's going to be $1.2 trillion. That's over three times the original congressional budget office estimate. 
Spending on electric vehicles expected to total three hundred ninety-three billion twenty-eight times what the experts predicted in Washington. But there's more from the frenzied spending, from the Biden spending. Consumer prices during Mr. Biden's presidency are up fourteen point four percent. The February inflation rate we just got ran at nearly triple the rate of the year before the pandemic began. That was twenty nineteen. And under Biden, grocery prices up 20 percent, gasoline up 35 percent, utility services up 41 percent, new cars up 19 percent, used cars up 22 percent, housing services up 13 percent. And in this poll from the University of Chicago, nearly two thirds said inflation is a major concern. Two thirds. Sixty seven percent. And then roughly 4 in 10 cited health care and housing costs. I know unemployment is down, but the poll showed a big anxiety about jobs. Almost half said the finance is worse than expected. And here's one that's, you know, really bad. More than half have lost faith in the power of a college education. More than half have lost faith in the power of a college education. I hate to see that. And here's the final one. Just 12% describe themselves as, quote, very happy. And that is the lowest share on record since the University of Chicago began asking the question every few years, starting in 1972. Now, I will just say, I will posit, one of the big, big issues here is the Biden administration has not generated any confidence in its ability to steward economic prosperity, either now or in the future. People want somebody that's going to be the guardian of economic growth and prosperity and future opportunities, and they don't see it. They don't see it in the Bidens. And that's a big problem. And I've said this a lot. His policies have not worked. Big government socialism has not worked. If it would have worked, it would have already worked. And I'll say, I'll add to that, I think Mr. Biden owns the banking problem. He owns the lack of prosperity. He owns the inflation problem. It came under his administration. We didn't have any inflation before. This is new, the last two years, and it's a killer. But the inflation problem has spawned the interest rate problem, which has spawned the banking crisis problem and the depositor fears. And we've already seen a couple of regional banks go down. Several more are on the precipice. This is Biden's banking problem because the original sin of the bailouts was skyrocketing inflation, which his Treasury Secretary denied, even though she was the Fed chair. Before that, she was the head of the Council of Economic Advisors. She had great credentials, Janet Yellen. But she was one of the biggest inflation deniers. I mean, Biden was an inflation denier. Yellen was an inflation denier. I remember she finally, in 2022, last year, about a year ago, went on CNN and admitted, oh, my God, there's inflation. There is inflation. It was like a hostage video. 
Now she's going around. One day she said, we're going to bail out all the bank deposits, including the uninsured. Then the next day she says, no, we won't. Then the day after that, this is just Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. She says, "We yes, if we need to, we will bail out all the uninsured deposits. It's a $7 trillion price tag. Back and forth. Nobody knows what she's what she's saying, what she really means. And I'll say this. Again, I think typical families, working folks, do not like the bank bailouts. They don't like them because they know they're going to have to pay for it. If you start to cover the uninsured deposits, you can do two things, actually. Number one, you're going to create what's called a moral hazard. What does that mean? That means, basically, if the government insures all the deposits, bad banking behavior will get worse because they got Uncle Sam to be their backstop and their safety net. It's the worst imaginable thing. And, of course, the second point, people don't like it because um, they're going to have to pay for it. And it's going to be very expensive. As I said, you're talking about $7 trillion. $7 trillion with a T. Dollars. Who's going to pay for that? You and I are going to pay for that. Along with Biden's flurry of social program benefit spending without any work there. Well, people don't like this one bit. What you have here, and I think this is nagging, it's not that people are against all government. They're not. I'm not. What they are is they're against unlimited government, massive expansion of government, which is curtailing their freedoms. That's a problem. All these bailouts and subsidies and taxes and regulations and social benefits, you know, and then you got your cancel culture and your diversity and equity inclusion, and your ESG investing and all this and all this. It's all about government and unlimited government and government telling you what to do. Not even a modest nod to free market capitalism. You know, I'm not, look, I'm not against renewable energy sources. Heck no. I think we should have as much energy as we can. Expand our energy base. But if you want more renewables, that doesn't mean you have to end oil and gas fossil fuels. Common sense. Don't end them. Run them side by side. And by the way, the fossils will become cleaner. They're already the cleanest in the world. But you don't destroy 75% of your energy source in order to save 5 to 10%. I mean, that's crazy. That's what the Bidens have done. We need to grow the energy pie. But most of all, we need to grow the whole economic pie. And most of all, we need to persuade people. We need leaders in both political parties who will be committed to growing the economic pie, to nurturing prosperity that is credible and lasting, to produce faster economic growth, 35 to 4% growth, not 1% or 1.5% growth. We used to have 3.5% growth 50 years, 1947 to the year 2000. 3.5% 
average annual growth with very little inflation. Let's go back to that, but not with these big government policies, not unlimited government. You have to employ free markets. And that's what the Bidens hate. Just another one. I mean, was it yesterday, the day before? we got to have different air conditioners. Your air conditioner is no good. Your gas-burning stove is no good. Your toilet's no good. Your shower head's no good. Your gasoline-powered car is no good. People don't like that. They like choices, not command and control or central planning. They like choices. And they don't see it. They see an unlimited government, limit, limitless government, without free markets that have uh, been the backbone of American prosperity for 250-some-odd years. That's why people are pessimistic. That's why these polls are showing pessimism. They're not happy. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness is so important. I want happy campers, not unhappy campers. We need a change. We need a big change in the body politic. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back after. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Now back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Away from the economy, you've got... uh, You've got this um, Donald Trump drama here in New York. You know, this guy, I just want to comment on it. We'll talk about it later in the show. My pal Roger Stone's coming on. And another friend of mine, John McLaughlin's got some very interesting polls to share with us. But um, just for me, I mean, this guy, Alvin Bragg, big left-wing, radical, you know, George Soros guy. This guy can't even indict a ham sandwich. I mean, everybody says any DA can indict a ham sandwich. Alvin Bragg can't even indict a ham sandwich. The name of the ham sandwich is Donald Trump. Supposed to be indicted or arrested last Tuesday. Nothing happened. The key witness was this guy Cohen, who was sort of a lawyer for Trump, but not exactly. Anyway, he was, uh, you know, he himself uh, was... Convicted of perjury, went to jail for three years. And he's like the key witness for Alvin Bragg. And it turns out Cohn's story was completely phony. Cohn's former lawyer, Robert Costello, a good lawyer, very good lawyer, Costello testified before the grand jury and destroyed Cohn's testimony and said, Cohn had nothing, Trump had nothing to do. Trump didn't make any payments to this uh, Stormy Daniels. He didn't make any payments. He didn't. Tell anybody to make a payment. Cohn did this on his own. Or so he says. But he told the jury, you know, after he was convicted and served time and the pokey came back out, told this Bragg jury that Trump was involved. He wasn't involved. So all of a sudden the jury has to go home. Right? No jury. No conviction. Now, I don't know what's going to happen next week. Bragg may try to come up with some convoluted case, but I think he's lost the jury. He's lost his own jury. All things a farce. Going after Trump is a farce. Treating an ex-president like that is a farce. This is just far-left Trump derangement syndrome. That's all it is. 
It's always been that way. The far left is petrified that Trump will win the Republican nomination, be the next president. They're petrified. They hate the guy. I, I mean, it's as clear as day. This is just one of the stupider things the left has done. And we're talking far left here. We're not talking left of center, respectable left of center. We're talking way out there. You know, this is no bail, no jail, Alvin Bragg. That's who he is. Backed up by a bunch of socialists. And here in New York and the city council up in Albany and the legislature, these are crazy people, in my opinion. Crazy people. They have no evidence. So I don't know what's going to happen. They're trying to find a witness uh, late last week. They didn't find one. Maybe they will. I mean, and then, of course, Dershowitz, who's a very smart guy, Harvard, you know, retired Harvard professor, great lawyer. I mean, Dershowitz keeps saying you can't indict Trump because the statute of limitations has run out. Two years for misdemeanor. It's been out. You know, this, this story is seven years old. Feds, the Justice Department looked at this. The Federal Election Commission looked at this. There was no campaign finance issues. There's no nothing. Cohen acted on his own. Why? I don't know. I think he was trying to suck up to Trump. So Trump, and by the way, this woman, Stormy Daniels, she writes stuff. I don't know what to believe. TMZ. She writes stuff that there was no affair. I don't know. I don't care. Trump is not running for sainthood. He's running for president. I have Look, I love Trump. I've said that before. I love the guy. I served three years. It was a fabulous experience. Should he be the next president? I don't know that yet. I don't. I'm going to be honest with you. But to see these far left people keep going after him, this is like the Russian hoax to the hundredth power. Where did that lead to? Nowheres. Just caused a big ruckus. And um, we'll ask John McLaughlin, but judging from the polls, I mean, Trump's polls have gone way up before this, but in doing this. Now, you know, I would say to my former boss, uh, pictures of you with a baseball bat is not a good thing. And if you could please stay away. I know he has a temper. To know him is to love him. He has a temper. He's saying things now about potential protests or things of that sort. Don't go there, sir. Don't go there because you're going to win this. They have nothing on you. It's not necessary to go into these protests or any hints of violence. We don't need that. But Brack has no case. And if he does actually continue to try the case... He's, it's going to be a mockery. And incidentally, Bragg's failure diminishes the significance of some of these other cases, you know, the classified documents. I mean, there's no case there. You want to indict Trump for classified documents? Indict Joe Biden. Indict Mike Pence. Indict almost everybody who ever made a mistake or whatever. And they want to go after Trump for J6. But wait a second. Look at Trump's speech. He clearly called for a peaceful demonstration. Peaceful. And he wanted 20,000 National Guard to guard the Capitol just in case. What's the case there? This is all Russian hoax to the hundredth power. People suffering from Trump derangement syndrome.
really quite remarkable for me to watch this. I wasn't involved in the January 6th stuff. But anyway, I um, we'll see if Alvin Bragg can pull something out of the fire. I think the guy, it's just the goofiest thing you've ever seen. The absolute goofiest thing you've ever seen. And by the way, no one knows politics the way Donald Trump knows politics. So we'll talk about that later in the show. It's a non-economic story. It's an important story. It's kind of a lot of fun anyway. I love to throw in a little politics to these shows. But, you know, Joe Biden's poll numbers are cratering because of the economy, because of the bank bailout, and people have gotten very pessimistic out there. We'll talk more about all this and the stock market and the banking crisis. I'm Kudlow. Stay with us, please. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. The power of information. The freedom to talk about it. With New York Attitude. Talk Radio 77 WABC. To the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Great, great pleasure to bring in distinguished Florida Senator Rick Scott, former governor of Florida, one of the authors of the Florida Miracle, I might add. There's a string of good governors down there. Anyway, Governor Senator Senator Scott, welcome to the show. Larry, it's always great to see you. Uh, you know, listen, um, you had texted me, uh, you know, what are the couple of things to do to help the banking system? And I didn't really respond, but I'm glad you're on the show. We can talk a little bit about that. One of the things that I don't want, uh, I'm sure you, I think you'll agree, is I don't want to bail out $7 trillion of deposits, insured and uninsured, because of the issue of what's called moral hazard, where if you, if you know the government is going to backstop your every move, you're going to do stupid, high risk, dumb things. Why not? Right. So I, I, why not? If you have no risk, if you have no risk, right? If, and it's just like what Powell did. First off, what he did with the interest rates kept them down forever. You had no no. You should buy everything then. I mean, it's, it's he's cost. He's been part of the cause of the inflation. But this idea that that they're going to bail out anybody that makes a mistake. It is your job to figure this out. We know that the federal government only guarantees two hundred fifty thousand dollars. And by the way, it's not fair to taxpayers. On top of the fact that the moral hazard. I mean, why does somebody that's doing the right thing have to pay for somebody that goes and does the wrong thing? That's exactly what happens here. I think that's one of the biggest reasons. You know, we've been watching um, Biden's polls. Now, polls are just polls and they're not votes, but they're kind of tracking things. And Biden, uh, since last Sunday, Senator Scott, uh, March 12th, when the decision was made to bail out, actually it's two Sundays ago, to bail out, uh, Silicon Valley Bank um, and Signature Bank. But since then, Biden's polls have dropped seven points in overall favorability and economic favorability. In fact, his economic numbers are barely, uh, I think it's about 31. So I think your point, I mean, I don't think voters or taxpayers, they're watching this with horror. They don't want to be on the hook for the kind of taxes that would happen if we bail everybody out. You, and by the way, we can't. We don't have enough. We're, we're already we already have thirty one and a half trillion dollars worth of debt, right? We, we're we're we are in a we are a debt ceiling crisis right now. If you look at his budget, he's talking about as much as three trillion dollars worth of deficits. It's going to be one point four trillion this year. So a guy can't live within his means. He will pay for everybody's everything because 
He thinks he can because it's your money, I guess. I mean, this is crazy. And by the way, the Federal Reserve, think about this. I think the other thing that's going on is that people are fed up with Jay Powell and Janet Yellen because mm-hmm. they just say, now, these are the same people that told me tra- inflation was transitory. And I watched my gas go up and my food go up. So these guys are telling me that, oh, the banking system's safe. Well, what in the living daylights were you guys doing then? All right. So, they, I mean, they, there's no credibility anymore with Biden or the, his team. It's yeah. not good for the country. Limitless government. As a former businessman and a former CEO, uh, you know something about this. Yelling, I don't understand. One day she says we will bail him out. Then the next day she says we won't. Then the third day, literally Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday this past right. week, she says, yes, we will. Um, the federal commission meetings called FSOC. God knows what they decided to come up with yesterday. It isn't clear. But, I mean, you're right. I don't think people have any confidence. And I think you're right. People don't have any confidence in Jay Powell either at the Federal Reserve. No. Think about this. 2008 banking crisis. We bailed out everybody and their brother. Okay. Was anybody, did you hear of one person at the Federal Reserve held accountable? Mm-hmm. One person at FDIC held accountable? No. As Jay Powell said, or Janet Yellen said, you know what? We made a mistake here. We should have caught this, and this is what we're going to do differently. Have they said that, or have they said we've looked at all the other banks and nobody has this problem? No, they haven't said that. They said just trust us. You know, just like the inflation thing, just trust us. There's no problem here. So this is wrong. I I have a bill that says we're going to get an independent inspector general at the Federal Reserve. Mm. Let me think about this. Federal Reserve uh, doesn't have an independent inspector general. When you run a company, you get independent auditors. Mm. They report to the board, not to the CEO. The, the, the Congress is the board. They sh- we should have independent in, inspectors. So you know what? If I want to ask a question, I don't have to ask the person that Jay Powell appointed. I can ask somebody independent of Jay Powell that was appointed by the president, confirmed by the Senate, and get better information. You know, we got to start having that accountability. Well, I agree 100 percent. Jay Powell has said the Fed will investigate. But, you know, <laughs> an independent IG would probably be a better idea. But the yeah. other the other thing is, out there in California with Silicon Valley Bank and First Republic and some others that are on on the edge, uh, you had the San Francisco Fed run by this Mary Daly, who was a Janet Yellen protege. She's a very left wing. Uh, she's a PhD, but she's a left wing, big climate change, big you know uh, diversity person. Anyway, they didn't do their job, Senator Scott. That's the problem, I think. And and it has come out. I mean, a lot of. They, they, the, the supervisory part of this was never done. The examination, they knew some of the issues, but they never did anything about it. And I think that's kind of the mystery that should be solved. And, and Larry, what are these banks sitting on the boards of the regional Federal Reserve that's supposed to regulate the banks? Mm. Doesn't that sound a little odd? Well, they've always had banks on the Fed board. I mean, I, I grew I up in the should. Federal Reserve. But, well, that might, that might be true. That may be a conflict I mean, of interest. You're going to go regulate your buddy? Hmm. You know, the person you go out and have dinner with? I don't know. Come on. I mean, you can't. You. That's why we have to have independence here. We have the independent, independent boards. We have to have I mean, it's no different than what we did with corporations. We forced them to have independent boards from the CEO. Hmm. We've got to do the same thing here. We've got to have independence here where so, so the people that are going to regulate something are not going to dinner with you every night. You know, <laughs> It's a good point. Well, I think somebody should look at that, actually. Maybe you want to restructure the Fed. I'm not against that. I'm just saying it's always been the case. But, I mean, I think 
when you read reports, and, and look, information is scarce so far, but when you read reports about this, uh, the bank examiners out there in the San Francisco Fed were aware of the asset and liability mismatch and the, you know, they owned the uh, duration uh, interest problems with the long-term bonds and some of the bad loans, but they never did anything about it, Senator. That's the part that calls me. They knew about it, or at least they knew enough about it, but then you read stuff, they didn't act on it. They didn't force the banks to change or they didn't throw the CEO out and the board out, which is what they should have done. Now that there should be solved. You should take the leadership in that. You should go after that. What the hell happened? I'm, I'm, Why didn't they do this? Yeah. You would have done it in your get, company. Yeah, Larry, we're going to get accountability here. Mm-hmm. Okay, We're going to get an independent inspector general. But they, look who's going to get hurt. Taxpayers are going to bail out these and doing all these. This is going to be a bailout. Taxpayers are going to pay for it. That's one. Mm-hmm. Number two, look at what's happened to our community and regional banks. Money's moving out of them, mm-hmm. which means if you don't know Jamie Dimon, if you don't know one of the big bank CEOs, you're not getting a loan. I mean, the, the, what's going to happen is all the, these banks are going to be smaller. These uh, community regional banks will be smaller. So now you want to get started, and you know you know you know your local banker, but how are you ever going to get to know Jamie Dimon? You're not. Hmm. So it's going to hurt our regional. It's going to hurt our economy. I mean, what what they're doing is, but this money is moving out because people don't get comf- they're not comfortable that Jay Powell and Janet Yellen are doing their job. They just have they have oh the nice words with nothing behind it. Well, you know what? You are apocryphal. There's a Bloomberg article out today or late yesterday, Senator Scott. U.S. bank deposits decline by most in nearly a year. Deposits fell more than $98 billion, and the decline is entirely due to a slump at smaller U.S. banks. Bank deposits fell $98 billion to $17.5 trillion, blah, blah, blah. Deposits at small banks slumped $120 billion, while those – oh, you'll love this – while those for the 25 largest firms rose by 67. So deposits are migrating from the smaller banks probably because they figure they won't get bailed out, and they're going to the big bank because they're too big to fail. Now, that's a very weird banking system uh, for a free country like ours. Well, think about it this way. A kid like me growing up with no money – I had to go to the banks to get a loan. I bought my I bought my first business, a donut shop. There was a local bank that knew me well enough to lend me the money. Mm. They won't be there. I'll have to say, hell, how do I get to know Jamie Dimon? Gosh, mm. that's going to be hard. I'll never get the loan. I'll never get started in business. That's what's going to happen. We're going to ruin the community banking system because Jay Powell and Janet Yellen won't do their job. Mm. When you were governor of Florida, I mean, you so you uh, oversaw whatever it's called, the Florida Banking Department or whatever yep. the regulators call. What was that like? Well, you, I, I believe in accountability. Here's what I did. I be, In Florida, I believe in complete transparency. So I said, put the information out so everybody makes a decision. Mm. By the way, shouldn't our depositors know a little bit more about what's going on here? Mm. I mean, every let's let's live in transparency. Mm. I mean, let's figure out what everybody's doing. So what, what I did is, we held people accountable. Is it fun? No, it's not fun. It's not fun to say, you know, we're going to have to hold you accountable because you didn't do your job. But you, guess what? You decide not to do your job. The people at the Federal Reserve, they're the ones who starts with Jay Powell. And if Jay Powell's not going to hold anybody accountable, he can't have his job. 
How can if you're if you're a CEO and says I just want to be liked by everybody, you will fail. Mm. Okay, you've got to hold people accountable. And people that do their job, it's no fun. You have to get rid of them, but you got to get rid of them. They made that decision. Hold people accountable. You know, that's a, such an important point. I was just thinking while you were saying this. So Powell had his uh, press conference this past week. You know, and the whole world watches, at least the whole financial world. Right. And yep. he's, he's up there babbling about we're going to raise rates, we're not going to raise rates, inflation. He, he never says anything clearly. But what he should have said is what you just said, how he's going to take the bull by the horns and find out immediately, like in two weeks, let's say, exactly what went wrong at the San Francisco Fed and, the, uh, you know, Silicon Valley Bank. That I mean, that's I think that's what. I'm just going to call them typical families. Um, that's what they want to hear. What the hell went wrong? Because if they're going to find, they're going to pay for it. So they'd like to know. Or why did the big shots and the well connected get covered and we don't get covered? That so what happens here? U.S. deposits declined by most in a year. Almost a hundred billion deposits left. Small banks went to the big banks. People are not stupid. But that's what Jay Powell should do. You're exactly right. Somebody should say that. You know what? I'm going to say that on my TV show. I'm going to go and rail about it. He should have talked about that. I'm sorry to take your time up, but fix, you're a good friend. The problem. And you and I think a lot of life. Problem. Yes. <laughs> you know what? So you got to acknowledge there's a problem. First off, he, may, he, say, he needs to acknowledge, hey, we screwed up. Mm-hmm. You know, we would, be, we would be more comfortable. You're always more comfortable if somebody says, hey, I screwed up, and this is what I'm going to do to fix it. Mm. You get that. I but do. No responsibility? None? Come mm-hmm. on. My bad. He could have said that. My bad. But he didn't. Yeah. Senator, you got another couple minutes. We've got to take a break. I want to talk to you about some other things, some spending okay. discussions and also some politics. Please stay with us. You're so great. Folks, Rick Scott is a friend of mine, so uh, it's a delight to have him on the show. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to take a quick commercial break, then come back to get Senator Scott's wisdom. Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're talking to Senator Rick Scott of Florida. Senator Scott, um, big story broke yesterday, editorial in the Wall Street Journal today. The real cost of the so-called misnamed Inflation Reduction Act is actually $1.2 trillion. This is so interesting. Uh, Goldman Sachs says the uncapped tax credits will cost three times what Democrats claim. That bill was scored. I call it the Joe Manchin bill. That bill was scored as about $400 billion, a little less than $400 billion. Goldman went through it and said you basically have unlimited, uncapped tax credits for one thing or another. The things, all things that cost $1.2 trillion, $1.2 trillion, which blows the lid off of any phony deficit reduction that Joe Biden is talking about. What a joke. I mean, think about it. Just in the first two years of Biden, $1.2 trillion for supposedly infrastructure, but it's just a one Green mm. New Deal. Mm. Okay. They got the, the $155 billion, you know, that has, has no accountability, but something to do with guns. $280 billion on a chips bill to give people, companies like Intel, $4 billion to build something they already committed to build and never stop doing business in China. Then you got the Inflation Reduction Act, which is 1.2. You got Omnibus 1.7. With no, with nobody even reads these things. You don't even, Larry. You realize that these things don't even get read. 
they, they give us they give us these bills at the last second, and it's got it's full of everything under the sun. But omnibus was three times the size of the Bible, and we voted and passed it. I voted against it, and, you know, voted passed within forty eight hours. Mm. I mean, you read the Bible, both old and new. I both of them three times in three in two days, right? I no. have I have read the Bible, not for long. I know, but, but I read scripture. Three, I read scripture every now and then when I go to church. You do it in two days, three times. No, just make sure you got it. No, I mean this is a. I mean, we wonder why we have thirty-one half trillion dollars of debt. Mm. We got inflation that's hurting the poorest families. We, I mean, it's it, it, these deficits are just it's staggering. We don't. And by the way, Larry, we don't even do budgets in mm. Congress. Maybe this year in the, in the Republican House will do them, but we're not even talking about budgets. I'm telling you, this, this is the craziest thing. This is uh, this. These are big numbers. This bill was going to cost in total a uh, little less than a four hundred billion. I mean, it was a climate change bill from day one. It had nothing to do yeah. with inflation. By the way, it's going to cause more inflation because of the spending. And here's Goldman Sachs, which is a center left economics department. I know them very well. It's a center-left department. They're saying it's going to cost $1.2 trillion. And Senator Rick Scott, I got another one for you. The uh, the center-left Brookings Tax Policy Center. Now, they're not crazy left. They're just center-left. That's why I'm distinguished. Mm-hmm. They priced out uh, the Biden tax increases, um, which were in the inflation reduction bill. Um, and here... 111 million taxpayers under $400,000 will see tax increases in 2024. In other words, Biden said nobody under 400,000. Here's the center-left Brookings Tax Policy Center. 111 million taxpayers uh, will – the majority – listen to this. The majority of taxpayers making between 31,000 and 400,000 – would see tax increases this year. That, by the way, just looking at the quintiles, that is um, 98%, 97.6% will see a tax hike as a result of Biden's bill. Oh, and Larry, on top of that, remember, we got 87,000 more IRS agents to make sure Hmm. you don't mess up on any air taxes. Sure. I mean, this if this is this is crazy. I mean, there's. By the way, let me give you a number that will surprise you. What's the population up since pre-pandemic? 2019, the population is up 1.8 percent. From 2019 federal spending to Biden's budget, how much is it up? Oh, God. Population up 1.8 percent. How much do you think? Since 2019, five percent. Yeah, I was 55. Gonna, I was going to say 45 <laughs> percent. Fifty-five percent. Wow! Like, who in God's green earth is going to pay for this? I just want to read those numbers because, the, again, these are not conservative far-right people. Right. This is this is slightly left of center. Goldman Sachs Economics Department and the Brookings Policies Tax Policy. One last one, uh, Senator. TikTok, can we finally boot them out? I mean, the evidence is yep. overwhelming. It is overwhelming. And by the way, their Get parent, them. Ban them. their parent, ByteDance, is very involved, very involved yeah. in the espionage and military complex of the Chinese Communist Party. If it's made in China, anything about China, it's bad for you. Mm. Everything about China is bad for you. Don't buy anything from them. Don't put an app on your phone. We need, we have, they want to destroy our way of life. Mm. And this is toxic for our kids. It's toxic yeah. for our kids. 
You know, they send bad messages to the kids. What happens, Senator Scott? Is there any uh, legislation uh, in the House and Senate, something that, you know, can go through and force yeah, Biden to sign it? Yeah. Yeah, there's one there's one bill that I'm on with Marco Rubio that mm-hmm. would just completely ban it. There's another bill um, that would uh, give the president the uh, authority to ban it. I'm I think we ought to just ban it. I mean, I think we, we got to get rid of TikTok. But by the way, every every person in this country needs to just stop doing business with China. Just stop. Mm. They're bad. They they want to destroy us. So let's all understand. The spy balloon was just an example, but they got drones. They had when I came in at the, four years ago in the Senate, eighty-five percent market share of drones that are government bought, mm. so they could surveil us. I mean, this is—they want us out of their way. They want to dominate the world. You know, we looked at this t- uh, bite dance, the parent TikTok, the uh, social media, so-called. Uh, look, I sat. I was on CFIUS, the uh, committee. Yep. Uh, to make yep. you know the foreign investment committee, um, we looked at it and we just and we just the clock ran out. Trump wanted to sell everything, yeah. But selling ByteDance won't matter. Uh, it's selling TikTok. It's ending TikTok because this right. the software involves. This is all very advanced virtualization software, mm-hmm. very advanced, way over my pay grade. I just used to try to keep up you cannot change that they take pictures they know where you are they know who you are they know what military base you know you're next to that's what they're doing here and then they're sending you as you mentioned before these subliminal toxic messages to young people who then go out and do crazy things you we it's just tiktok has to be banned it seems to me just banned no No it has to be banned this week is a good week that's what we ought to do next week, ban it. With the House ought to pass it. We ought to pass it in the Senate and the president sign it. Get them off our devices. Yeah, there you go. And my last one, speaking of the House, doing a good job, H.R. 1. This was the Kudlow idea for many, many months. We unveiled it on the show. Kevin McCarthy so wonderful. He and Steve Scalise. But, it, you know, um, turn back on. The spigots for oil and gas, H.R. 1 permitting bill. It's a very good bill, Senator Scott. And absolutely we unveiled it on our show. Kevin McCarthy insisted. Uh, but 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 we're going to do it again on Tuesday. We're having a big conference, America First Policy Institute. And um, uh, McCarthy's going to be there. Sc- Scalise going to be there. You know, Kathy McMorris Rogers, all the House members that yep. worked on this. Yep. We're going to have a big conference. I'll be down there. But this That's is great. good. I mean, you, you all in the Senate need to carry this thing. And I know Biden will veto it, but you need to carry it and, and just absolutely jam it. Do it. Jam it. Yep. Turn on the spigots. Absolutely. Turn on the spigots. We can go to 15 well, million barrels a day. We want to be independent. Don't you want to be yes. independent? Yes. Yes, I yes. want to be independent. Yes. Our country needs to be independent. We can help our allies, and we can get inflation down if we get more oil and gas produced. You know, uh, refined petroleum products cover every nook and cranny of the economy. Everything. Everything. They're involved in and People have no idea. Hundreds of little products come from petroleum, which the Bidens want to ban. It's incredible. Right. Absolutely. Right. And it doesn't mean you're against solar. It doesn't mean you're against right. nuclear. It doesn't mean you're against anything. You're for lower oil and gas prices. Yeah, that's the name of it, by the way, lower energy costs. Senator Rich Scott of Florida, we appreciate your time, sir, very much. God bless. Folks, I'm Cudlow. We're going to take a break, and we will be back on the other side with John Carney and talking about the Fed and the economy. Larry Cudlow.
Kudlow. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It's a great pleasure to be with you. By the way, you can live stream us on the Internet. LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com. And you'll hear us all across the country, throughout the world, throughout the solar system and the Milky Way. We're going to bring in my great pal, John Carney, Breitbart News Editor, Economics and Finance, and co-author of the must-read Breitbart Business Digest, also a frequent contributor to the Larry Kudlow Show on Fox Business. John, welcome. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Larry. So I'm reading your piece now. Uh, Markets are back to fighting the Feds. Very interesting, because you're right. Uh, With all the things going on, uh, inflation, interest rates, the banking uh, issues, um, market interest rates are falling. That's right. Everything's falling except the Fed's target rate, which went up a quarter to 5%. Um, but I was looking, uh, John, I was looking just this morning. I uh, clicked on the Atlanta Fed GDP. Now they've updated it uh, through yesterday, I guess. And they're still at 3.2% for the first quarter. And the economy is mixed, but I'll let you talk about it because the question leads, I think, eventually leads to a trade-off. You got the banking problem on the one hand, you got the inflation problem on the other hand, and you also have the Fed's actions. So, what's this going to do? Is he going to raise the inflation target from two to four, or is he going to keep tightening? Or are the, why are the markets is such a disconnect? With the Fed. Yeah, it's pretty extraordinary because, remember, we just got the new Fed projections out this week. And yet and and that shows that the the Fed officials, you know, and this is after Silicon Valley Bank, you know, after all the problems they're seeing, it shows that Fed officials think that they have at least one more hike and that they're going to hold there till the end of the year. If you look at what the market is implying is going to happen, it's a couple hundred basis points of cuts that, mm. that there's no more hikes. Mm. And then starting at the next meeting in June, they start cutting and they cut basically 25 basis points every meeting after that. So that either is the market saying they think the Fed is going to check it out, you know, not stay at a 2% target, or that they think the economy is about to fall off a cliff, mm. which is Odd, because as you're saying, the first quarter numbers look pretty strong. Mm. We have the you know GDP now numbers coming in very strong. We had yesterday uh, Chris Williamson at Silk at uh, S and P Global putting out the Purchasing Managers Index, saying that the data for March is consistent with about a two percent growth rate. Mm. So you know these are pretty good numbers, and nothing. And of course, we have all the labor market indicators, and we've had falling jobless claims benefits week after week, we're mm. still below 200,000. These all say, you know, that there's no reason, you know, absent the financial crisis getting worse, which it doesn't appear to be so far, mm. uh, there's no reason for the, to expect the Fed to start cutting in June. Everything, except then you look at things like the inverted yield curve or the uh, index of leading indicators. Those tell you things are going to get really bad pretty soon. So, there's a lot of mixed messages coming out of the economy right now. Yeah, the money supply is falling. Commodity indexes very soft, as you say, the leading index of leading indicators. But you have this weird thing. I'm just I mean this came up last night on the show with you and, and Liz Peak, but 
The two-year note is 377 and the three-month T-bill is 461 <laughs> and the Fed funds rate is somewhere as close to five. And, of course, the 10-year is 337. So you have a deep inversion, upside-down yield curve, which is saying the Fed should be cutting rates, but the Fed doesn't seem to want to cut rates. Now, let me ask you something. I went back, John, just – the Fed's target for inflation, right, is the PCE, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Deflator. So here are the numbers. The core PCE for the last three months is 4%. For the last 12 months, it's 5.4%. The overall PCE for the three months is 5.4, and for the 12 months, 4.6. So call it five, say, call the inflation rate 5%, round numbers, okay? The Fed funds rate is at 5 uh, or near, you know, four and three quarters to five. Uh, John Taylor from the Hoover Institute, famous economist, Stanford University, and others think you should have the funds rate above the inflation rate. Like Taylor says the funds rate should be 6%. The markets are saying the funds rate's going to three or something. I don't, right. I don't get that. I just don't get it's that. A, it's a big disconnect. I think the markets are looking at things like the yield curve inversion and saying, Look, the, it, that that itself has a tightening effect when you get the yield curve that inverted because banks, it doesn't make sense to lend, right? If they're paying, I mean, look at what happened to the borrowing from the Federal Reserve. That went up a lot last week, right? We saw a tremendous amount of banks coming to the discount window and coming to these new facilities, but they're paying 4.75 for the money they're borrowing from the Fed, right? So what does that mean when they're going to lend it out? it means that they either have to be charging a lot for loans or they're not going to be making a lot of loans that can't afford to pay, you know, the higher VIG. So that itself has a contractionary effect. So I think people are looking at those and saying, okay, the Fed charging this much is basically going to cut off bank lending in a lot of places if they go any higher. So maybe they have to come down in order to keep, you know, when you have both the financial crisis going on and this problem with the inverted yield curve, maybe they have to come down. Mm. But look, I don't see how they come down with inflation running at five percent and unemployment at you know below four percent. That that doesn't seem to me like Jay Powell and everybody else is going to decide. Yeah, we, we we better come down because things might get bad. I mean, things are going really well. Well, your other piece on the Breitbart Business Digest: the Fed is forecasting a contraction. Now that's interesting. You're saying if you look at their numbers, I guess for the second half of the year. Uh, to get a yearly 0.4 growth rate, which is what the Fed new estimates are, you'd have to have a pretty big drop in the economy. Is that, is that what right. you're saying? If yeah, if we're growing, I mean, it's just math. If we're growing at 3% right now, and we're, you know, we're almost beginning the second quarter, if we're growing at 2 or 3% in March, we're, you know, we're going to be growing that much in April. Uh, and, we're pro- you know, we're, um, I don't see any sign that we've fallen off a cliff in the last, you know, two weeks. Mm. So that means we'll, we'll have positive growth in both first quarter, second quarter. How do you get all the way down to 0.4? There has to be a big contraction in that third or fourth quarter or both quarters in order to get the, you know, the full year growth rate down that much. So I think, you know, the implicit message here is the Fed is saying, one, that they're going to keep tightening, and two, that they're going to tighten into what will be a second-half contraction. Well, are they hiding information? I mean, (laughs) see, that agrees with what the market is saying. 
But that does not agree with what Jay Powell is saying. Yeah, you know, they hate to they hate to project a recession, right? Imagine how people would freak out if the Fed said, well, we think we're going to get a negative, you know, growth rate for the year and mm-hmm. we're growing at 3% right now. That would cause a panic. And also it creates the impression that the Fed wants negative growth. And they'd like to be able to say, no, we don't want negative growth. We just want, you know, much, you know, we want to slow things down, but we're not actually trying to cause a contraction. Because part of the problem when you're the Federal Reserve and you're basically trying to run the economy is your projection in some ways becomes the reality. When you tell people we're going to grow 0.2%, it's actually kind of hard to grow faster than that because you're communicating the message. We think that's the growth rate that's appropriate for the economic, uh, economic circumstances right now. Well, you know, so I th- yeah. I'm just thinking, John, uh, my pal, uh, my friend Kevin Warsh, uh, former Fed governor for about half a dozen years, he was governor during the meltdown. He's um, Kevin said on the show that the Fed ought to stop these projections, just stop them. And, you know, in general, I would suggest maybe – that Jay Powell and the rest of them, they just talk too damn much. They like, you know, like they're not any, you think they're no smarter than the rest of us. They're no smarter than a sharp, uh, derivatives trader at Goldman Sachs. I mean, maybe they ought to keep their yap shut. I think that Jay Powell actually made a mistake when he changed something about the press conference. And this is an extension of, I think, the over communication. Jay Powell is the first Fed chairman to do the press conference standing up. <laughs> he, he, he looks like the U.S. president, right? Uh, like he's standing at a podium, uh, giving a speech. Uh, he shouldn't do that. When they're sitting down, they look like a Fed chairman. Standing uh, up, it, it looks like the guy who's in charge of the economy. I think you're right that they probably are over-communicating. I would like to see a study by the Fed. What are the effects of the dot plots? Like, are those actually you know, constructive to have, mm. or have they not been constructive? Because my instinct is maybe they're not very useful, and especially because they're so variable. They change so much. If you look at what they were projecting last year versus this year, they're all over the place. Mm. That might actually be undermining confidence in the Fed rather than supporting it. You know, John, your other earlier point, when he's standing up behind the podium and he looks like the president, <laughs> John, he thinks he's the president. That's I think a, so. That's a problem, too. It's just so overrated. It's just incredible. Well, we'll leave it there. But anyway, thank you uh, for helping out the way you do. Thanks for having me, Larry. Yeah. No, no, folks, you got to read. you got to read uh, the Breitbart Business Digest. It's terrific stuff. John Carney. We'll talk a couple times this week, John. Take care. Folks, we're going to take a a quick break. And on the other side of the break, we're going to talk some politics. Alvin Bragg cannot indict a ham sandwich. We're going to talk to my old pal, Roger Stone, who's going to have a few things to say. I'm Cudlow. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Ernie Anastas. You know, your thoughts can affect how you feel, and how you feel can impact your thoughts. Addressing your mind and body connection is the key to improving your overall wellness. Bergen Newbridge Medical Center is the largest hospital in New Jersey, providing comprehensive, equitable, compassionate, and high-quality emergency inpatient and outpatient medical care, plus mental health services and substance use disorder treatment. The Bergen Newbridge team can address your total health needs in one convenient location. Call 201-225-7130 for an appointment or newbridgehealth.org. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Now back to the Larry Kudlow Show. 
Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Great pleasure to bring my old friend on, Roger Stone, political consultant and strategist, longtime senior campaign aide to Nixon, Reagan, and Trump. He's a New York Times bestselling author. His website is www.stonecoldtruth.com. I like his fashion stuff as much as his political stuff. <laughs> Roger, how are you, buddy? Larry, delighted to be back with you. Pleasure to have you on. So I was saying earlier at the top of the show, Alvin Bragg, this left-wing radical crazy guy, he can't even indict a ham sandwich, you know? What do you make of this whole story right now? What's the Roger Stone perspective? Well, I may be one of the few people who can fully understand uh, the injustice, unfairness, and political bias of the prosecution or proposed prosecution of President Donald Trump. Uh, I was subjected to the Mueller witch hunt. I underwent a Soviet-style show trial, complete with a a biased and hateful judge, a corrupted jury forewoman, uh, a a stacked jury. And I learned a year after my unconditional presidential pardon that the judge withheld exculpatory evidence against me because Mueller actually had concluded in his final report that he had found, quote, no factual evidence mm. of Russian collusion, WikiLeaks collaboration, mm. or any other illegal act on my part. I was, I was prosecuted to try to pressure me to testify falsely against the president, mm. which I refused to do. And thanks to the grace of God and my prayers to Jesus Christ and the strength and courage of Donald Trump, I'm here to be on your show today. Mm. So I know exactly how the president feels. Uh, this is a travesty because there is really no crime here. Uh, This would presumably rely on the testimony of Michael Cohen. Michael Cohen testified to Congress uh, that he overheard a conversation between me and candidate Trump in 2016, in which I advised candidate Trump uh, that the WikiLeaks disclosures were coming. Uh, There's no telephone record to support that. The secretary who Cohen said came into the room to, to the office to tell Trump I was on the line has no such memory. And Cohn changed his story twice, saying once this happened uh, before the Democratic Convention in 2016. Then he changed his mind, said, no, it happened before the Republican Convention. Larry, I can tell you exactly when it happened. Never. It Mm. never happened. Mm. Uh, By the way, I passed three polygraph tests on that narrow point. So this is the guy they would be relying on who has testified in writing uh, and under oath and and told his lawyers and had his lawyers assert that Donald Trump was not a party to any payoffs to anyone. Uh, this is the guy that they would base their case on, twisting a convicted records case. Con, in, 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 convicted? Con, no, no, convicted perjurer, which um, the very good lawyer, uh, well-regarded lawyer, uh, Robert Costello, ripped him to pieces in front of the grand jury. So, Former, right, fe- former federal prosecutor, in fact. Right. So, right. So there... And there, I mean, the evidence shows. And by the way, there was a there was a letter about this that Cohn. I mean, Cohn keeps changing his story. You're quite right. So Trump had nothing to do with any payoffs or hidden payoffs or campaign related payoffs. Uh, in fact, he may not have even had an affair with this uh, Stormy Daniels person. But I she de- she denies it. Right. He denies it. Right. The only one who claims it is Michael Cohen. Right. who can't keep his story straight. Exactly. But let's go to the larger point here, which is Alvin Bragg is merely an appendage 
of a, an increasingly frantic and hysterical uh, Biden regime, mm. uh, which does not want to face Donald Trump in, at the polls in 2024. He beat them in 2020, in 2016. Uh, we have a muddled result at best in 2020. I think he beat them again. We saw unprecedented irregularities and anomalies in the 2020 results that, at a minimum, don't make any sense. Uh, he is gathering strength, as you can see in the polls. Mm. He was told by everybody and his brother not to attack Governor DeSantis, not to use his usual pugilistic, uh, combative style. He turns out to be right. Everybody told him that turns out to be wrong. Mm. He has surged ahead of DeSantis. Uh, it is clear that the persecution by Bragg, and I think what will be next, uh, a, a, uh, a uh, knockoff of this in Fulton County, Georgia, is only adding to the president's strength, mm. certainly within the Republican Party and, I think, in the country. I mean, what happens here, you you think, um, I mean, the, the far, far left, which backs this guy, Bragg, George Soros left, um, of course, they have the Trump derangement syndrome. But at some point, I mean, he is a prosecutor. It is a courtroom. It is a legal proceeding. He just got to admit he has no case. Unless he, keeps, uh, well, he keeps talking about, remember, after Bob Costello testified, they said we're going to have one more witness. But they never had one more witness. And I don't know who the hell the one more witness is going to be. This thing could be thrown out next week, Roger. Uh, I, I'm hopeful that Mr. Bragg will have second thoughts and realize that he, that he has no case. But, Larry, let's be let's be candid. You have a Soros prosecutor, a Soros funded prosecutor in Fulton County, Georgia, uh, Fannie Wills. If one will take the time to read the entire transcript of the phone call between President Trump and Secretary of State Raffensperger, uh, where in which, by the way, there's at least six other lawyers on the line, people representing Trump and people representing the secretary of state. It's very clear that Trump does not tell Raffenberg, just go find 11,000 some, 11, some odd votes. What he says is there's more. That's the difference. But there's more than that, vote, uh, more than 11,000 some odd hundred votes that you have counted illegally. And if you eliminate those, for example, the 5,000 felons, roughly, uh, who voted illegally, you don't need to question the, the uh, integrity or the accuracy of the machines. He's not asking him to find votes. He's asking him for an honest count. Mm. It's it's yet another framed uh, indictment because they're just desperate not to face uh, Trump uh, at the polls. Roger Stone, how do you handicap the presidential race? You're right. Trump has a lead in the Republican nomination. Actually, he's been widening his lead. Um, what, should, what do you think here? Give me some forecasts. Uh, I think he will be the nominee of the Republican Party. I think he will be at maximum strength at that point. He is still uh, – the model is, remains the same. He's the one Republican who can reach into independents and uh, blue-collar Catholic Democrats uh, in states like Wisconsin, Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania. Of course, we need a an honest, fair, uh, transparent election. What's less clear to me, even at this point, is whether Joe Biden – will be the nominee of the Democrats. He says he's running. Uh, many professional Democrats I know are shaking their heads. There's uh, much unhappiness about not only his uneven performance, but the looming uh, threat of the disclosures that come out of Hunter yep. Biden's laptop of corruption, influence peddling, 
lobbying without registering, and indeed treason. Uh, have our top officials in the Biden family or in the Biden administration been bribed by China? Mm. It certainly appears that way to me. Roger. By the way, everything I know about Hunter Biden, I read in the Washington Post. <laughs> Pardon me, in the New York Post. Every bit. What's uh, the last 45 seconds? What's your quick assessment of Ron DeSantis? Uh, I think his timing is awful. After after having the discipline not to take the bait, he betrays Donald Trump at the worst possible time, and the polls reflect that. He's mm. in free fall. Huge mistake. How Huge is he? Mistake. I don't know much about him on the issues. I, I know that you're a good supply side or free market guy. Is DeSantis? Uh, every one of his signature accomplishments, if you look at it, Carefully, Larry, you will find in the small print that they're not nearly as great mm. as you, you think they are. So he says, I banned masks in schools. No, you left it to the counties and 3.7 million school children continued to be masked for oh. 18 months after you said you had already huh. ended the practice, huh. for example. Wow. Good stuff. Roger, you working on a new book? I am. I'm writing a, a book entitled Roger Stone Did Nothing Wrong. <laughs> the story of my prosecution uh, and the and the theft of the 2020 election uh, be out here shortly. I hope it is. Uh, you would think writing it would be cathartic, but Larry, I must tell you, it's not. It's painful, uh, but it'll be worth it. All right, Roger Stone, my friend. Thanks for coming on. We'll talk soon. Terrific Thank stuff, you, Larry. folks. We'll take a quick break. On the other side, pollster John McLaughlin is going to get us up to speed on what these Republican numbers look like. I'm Cudlow. Please stay with us. perspective. You just got to keep an open mind. And then there's New York perspective. Are you as offended as I am? And contrary to popular opinion. You can't make deals with just anybody. Talk Radio 77 WABC. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. We're going to talk to the great pollster, John McLaughlin, CEO of McLaughlin and Associates. Uh, John Princeton didn't quite make it. Last night, no. gave it their best no. shot. Gave it their best shot. Anyway, they give it I want to talk shot. to you. I want to talk to you. Um, it's very interesting. Throughout this, Alvin Bragg, you know, Alvin Bragg's a DA that can indict a ham sandwich, and all this stuff, the Trump derangement syndrome goes on. There's a lot of powerful news organs that are against Trump that, in the past, have been uh, helpful to him, but his polls are rising. And his lead against DeSantis is widening. And I think, John, your stuff shows um, his lead against Biden is widening. So talk to us about that, if you would. Well, the only crime that Donald Trump committed is that he's ahead in the polls. (laughs) And you and I know each Well, first of all, Larry, your advice to him over the years, he's been a pro-growth president. Mm-hmm. And that's what people want. Mm-hmm. And he's a businessman. He's an outsider. And, you know, like the, in the polls that you're referring to, I tell you, 85% of all voters say they've been negatively impacted by inflation. Mm-hmm. 42% have said that they've been so negatively impacted by inflation, they can't make ends meet. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you listed in the beginning of your show the uh, the consumer prices, mm-hmm. gasoline, food, et cetera, what they've gone up by, and inflation being this horrible tax, that's what's really affecting people. And they're looking at Joe Biden, who most voters disapprove, 54%, and they're looking at Trump, 
and they're saying, I would vote for Trump again, 48 to 43, among a mm. 1,000 likely voters. Mm. And if people want to check out this survey, we publish it every month. We have a, a history of publishing this over the years that if, if they want to check it out, they can go to our website, mclaughlinonline.com. And in 2016, when you and I were advising President Trump to get him elected uh, back then, we were never ahead in the popular vote. Mm. We were close, and we could win a battleground state victory. And in 2020, when he was up for re-election, it was the same scenario, a very close race where we could win a battleground state victory. Now he's ahead in the national popular vote because Joe Biden is the worst president the country's ever had. I mean, he's worse than Jimmy Carter. I mean, we're looking at an economic uh, inflation that I listen. You know, I can read polls, but you give the economic advice. This is not going away. And the American people want this stopped. I mean, it's it's when you look at the, the polls and you ask them if the country's going forwards or backwards. They're telling us that I've ever seen American polls where two-thirds, 65% of the voters say we're going backwards, not forwards, only 35% forwards. And they say the economy's getting worse. This That was the poll this week, 67% to 26%. Mm. The economy's getting worse. Mm. So why is he? I mean, why, is, look at that. Uh, it, why is his lead widening over Governor DeSantis? Uh, DeSantis... Uh, publishes a book. The book goes to the top of the list. Uh, you know, Trump has a lot of bad headlines uh, that he's going to be indicted. Uh, but his polls have widened significantly against Ron DeSantis. And, and I think that that surprises me. What What's your explanation and what do your own polls show? Well, he's been president and he's done a good job. And what, in, in light of Biden, I mean, first of all, I mean, they couldn't have picked a worse D.A., to try to indict Trump. Right. And and politically, you know, when the coincidence, the years I used to work for Arthur Finkelstein and we ran campaigns for lots of candidates. And one of the political things you do is when you have trouble, like Biden does, because they got the bank records from China and they're looking at millions of dollars coming into the Biden family and they're, they're, they're making, you know, there's news that Biden doesn't want to be the headlines. So what he does is, get me out of the news. We need to create a diversion. Okay, who can we have indict Trump? Mm. Fulton County DA, Mm. uh, the Justice Department. No, let's have Alvin Bragg do it. (laughs) A a radical left-wing Soros prosecutor that Republicans really dislike that is a national disgrace because he lets criminals go. And then, he, you know, but he'll indict people like Jose Alba, who got stabbed and owned a bodega. and so he decides to indict Trump. And in the meantime, conservatives then flock to Trump because this guy's a really bad guy. I mean, he's somebody that if Lee Zeldin had been elected governor, he would have fired the guy. So Bragg and is boosting Trump's numbers, you're saying? Because last month we had Trump. Well, back in January, we had Trump leading a field of 13 candidates in the primary, 43-31. And this month it's 46 to 23 with 8% for Pence, everybody else less. Against in January, we had Trump leading DeSantis 52 40 in a one on one race. This month it's 61 31 because conservatives are flocking to Trump to mm. defend him. But, so, but DeSantis is trying to run. I mean, I, I haven't heard much 
about Governor DeSantis about the economy, John. I, in fact, I haven't heard anything. But he's certainly trying to run as a cultural conservative. Now, you're saying that's not working. No. Well, most of the voters in the country, the economy is the top issue, particularly inflation. Right. And Trump, you thankfully you were with President Trump. And when he was president, we had virtually no inflation. Yeah, we didn't have inflation. Not, we had no inflation. Four years, had basically. Economic, yeah, incredible. Economic growth. Yep. What's, the, what's growth going to be over the current year? You know that better than I do. They're saying it's going to be like zero, right? Mm-hmm. And when Trump Could was be. president, you, you were growing the economy. The tax cuts worked. So, so I'm just interested. DeSantis has a best-selling book, and he goes all over. Right. He's, he's on five Fox shows, Fox News shows. You know, and he's out and about, right? He's around the country. But his right. numbers come down. Now, you think that's a function of the Alvin Bragg business that kind of blocked DeSantis out, or is there something else going on there? There's, there's something else going on, too. There's a, that That's blocking out. Also, when Trump announced he was running again in November, he really didn't campaign. And what he's doing now is, you know, he let the holidays go by. But then January, February, he started going out. He started going. People people weren't sure he was really running. Mm. And and uh, now he's been in, you know, Iowa. He's been in uh, South Carolina, New Hampshire. He's been to East Palestine, Ohio, mm. the site of, you know, when Biden was away giving our, our tax dollars. That was over a brilliant in, move. Brilliant move yeah. by Trump. Absolutely. Looked like a president. Looked like a president. And when you ask these primary voters, do you think Trump should run again? 61% say yes. And if he runs, would you support or oppose him? It's 74-22, they would support him. Mm. But he's but in a field of candidates, he's only in the 40s. And it's because they're they're looking at the other candidates. And they look at them and they're saying, DeSantis isn't Trump. He's trying to beat Trump without being Trump. Mm. And that doesn't work for these voters because the, the majority, when you ask them if they're if they uh, have pride in the United States or they're worried or they're angry, the majority of these voters now tell us they're angry. The rest say that they're worried. So what they're so upset at what's going on. They're looking and saying, we need someone who's not just like Trump. Mm-hmm. We need. What about, um, let me just ask mm-hmm. you about some of the guys show up in the poll. Mike Pence is in all these polls. He's around seven or 8%. Um, right. He's not going up. He's not going down. Uh, he's picking. Right. He's picking up his appearances now. What do you make of the Penn story? What's your, what's your take on the Penn story? Uh, you know, Mike Penn. He's a he's a he's a nice guy, but he's going to get the Mister Congeniality Award in this contest because mm-hmm. he's not he's not taking stands that would be intense enough to convert the primary voters into real votes. And his and his strength was he was he was Trump's vice president. Mm-hmm. Now he seems to be criticizing and splitting with Trump at a time when most primary voters want Trump again. Mm. So it's 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 being counterproductive. He's actually inside the Republican primary. He's actually building a significant level of, of uh, negatives right now. And that's DeSantis' dilemma. Mm. DeSantis' base is Trump's base, yeah. but he's not as intense and as strong. So when he gets in against Trump, he's going to build negatives. Who's uh, so, What's Nikki Haley's base? Not really. Yeah, she's a part of a universe. You're breaking up, John. Go to go to the window. Sorry about that. Go to the window. (laughs) 
I'm actually I'm actually out by the airport in Palm Beach, so everybody's going to Texas. So it's Nikki Haley, uh, is she close to the now it's her numbers. I saw some polls where she's in the Republican primary numbers. She's actually in the low teens, which surprised me. That's only in South Carolina where she was the governor. Oh, okay. And and it's not in the national poll. It, it's not a national primary. She's really she's really got a piece of the of the South Carolina vote, maybe some of the New Hampshire vote. That's mm. it. So, you know, there's a long time. It's ten months until the Iowa caucus. So these other candidates are going to go have to go out and spend time in the early states. And uh, in the meantime, Donald Trump's still the dominant candidate in these states. What about uh, somebody like Mike Pompeo, who is very highly regarded, as you know? He's a very smart guy, uh, military man, businessman, has a background nobody else has, CIA director and, of course, Secretary of State, where he did good job. And, by the way, his book – Spent ninety nine percent of the time praising Donald Trump. Does Pompeo? Is there a Pompeo niche in this uh, Republican primary? Not as long as Donald Trump's in it. Right. I mean, there is a foreign policy. You could have more of a foreign policy crisis with mm-hmm. Ukraine and other things. And he was an exceptional Secretary of State, exceptional mm-hmm. CIA director. Mm-hmm. But still, right now, the dominant issue is economics, and they and you really need a pro growth. Uh, economic message. By, by the way, Pompeo is very good on. He's a supply sider. I mean, I yeah, talked to no, him a lot. He's he doesn't say you know that's not his calling card. He doesn't write op eds about it, but he is a free market supply sider. Yeah, I mean, he's probably, but as long as Donald Trump's in this and the front runner and the voters want him to beat Joe Biden, it's very hard to you know get recognition for that. Now let so, me ask you. Let me go to the Democratic side. I just saw polls this week. I talked about it on TV show. Uh, the University of Chicago, what is it, NORC? Uh, right. One sponsored by the AP and one sponsored by the Wall Street Journal. Uh, Joe Biden is cratering right now. But how is it possible, John, Mac, uh, John McLaughlin, that with Biden cratering, nobody wants to – I don't no Democratic heads pop up above the waterline – to challenge him. I mean, he's like uh, the Wizard of Oz. You you know, you pull the curtain back and there's, you know, some little guy there with no power. But nobody wants to challenge him. How is this possible? Well, he's the incumbent president. But at some point, if somebody did, in a field of, thir- of uh, a dozen or so candidates or even more candidates, he only gets 23 huh. percent. And his weakness, what tells you how really weak he is, is that they changed the rules for the Democrats to nominate delegates. Mm-hmm. Their first delegate state is South Carolina. Mm-hmm. They've totally wiped out the Iowa caucus for Democrats. The uh, New Hampshire primary is a show primary. It's not a real primary. Mm-hmm. They're doing that because Biden is so weak. They, you know, South Carolina delivered them the nomination after four losses. Mm-hmm. Or So they're, do, they're rigging the rules again. And the question is, does Biden – see, I don't, I don't think Biden's going to make it. I mean, I just think he's so weak and uh, things are so bad. They may dump him. And, and, you know, the Democrats, whether it's Kamala Harris that they don't want, that's the other thing is Kamala Harris's function, I'm sure, is like impeachment insurance. Because (laughs) if anything happens to Biden, they get her as president. And they 
nobody wants her. Yeah, but you got so, you have very ambitious governors like Gavin Newsom, whom I know quite well, but also this cha- uh, chap in uh, Illinois, Pritzker, whom I don't know. Right. Who's a, you know he's a rich, rich, rich guy could sell fun. I mean, these are governors, and in those left, you know, left wing blue states, I guess they're very popular, but they don't seem to want to run. Uh, not right now. But, you know, it could be a situation like 1968. You're old enough to remember. You were, weren't you a Kennedy Democrat at some point? I was uh, JFK and RFK. Well, think about this as RFK, where RFK didn't get in until Eugene McCarthy put the torpedo into LBJ mm-hmm. in the New Hampshire primary. Mm-hmm. At some point, if somebody gets in, and, and they're positioning for it, like Gavin Newsom, they're entertaining reparations in California, <laughs> I know. so it can help them in South Carolina and Georgia in the primary. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it's so obvious. <laughs> it, it is so obvious. And and, and when want, you look at where's my reparations? Where's <laughs> your reparations? Jeez. Um, white males but, don't get we, white white males don't get reparations, John. That's the problem. I don't know. Maybe maybe is that part of the union. But what about what about Whitmer? She repealed right to work in yeah, Michigan. Yeah, she's a so hero. She's Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, she wants the union support, though. All right, John, uh, thanks for the rundown. It's great stuff. Fascinating story. Trump's fascinating story. All right, buddy, take care. i got to take a quick break. Outside of the break, we're going to talk to Chris Edwards of the Cato Institute. I'm Larry Kudlow. Please stay with us. Larry Kudlow. Back to the Larry Gudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I want to go back to the budget. We were talking about it earlier with Senator Rick Scott. We've got Chris Edwards, Director of Tax Policy Studies at the Cato Institute and the editor of DownsizingGovernment.org. Uh, Chris Edwards, you're complaining that federal spending is up 40% <laughs> since 2019. Did you see the... Uh, Goldman Sachs story about the uh, so-called IRA bill that's actually uh, 1.2 I, I did trillion. in the Wall Street Journal editorial today. Thanks for having me, Larry. Yeah, it's pretty shocking that uh, you know we we thought that the uh, all these energy incentives were only going to cost us a couple hundred million, and Goldman Sachs says it's going to be over a trillion. All these new Biden energy incentives. Very, very shocking. But you're right. The budget's up 40 percent since 2019. So, you know, when you were in there under Trump, the budget was $4.4 trillion. Today, it's $6.2 trillion. And the thing is, is, you know, yes, everyone understands that the budget went up a bit during COVID, but it should be coming down again now. But it's not. It's gone up 40 percent, and, and Biden's got it going up and up and up. And a classic, a, you know, a classic sort of micro Example of this is food stamps. In 2019, food stamps were 63 billion. Mm. Today, they're double that, 127 billion. Um, and yet, you know, the unemployment rate's only three and a half percent. So why have food stamps doubled? And then food stamps, they're projected, you know, to keep going up. So this is this is uh, this all the spending is just it's remarkable. It's it's bankrupting us, and uh, you know, we got it. We got a reverse course here. Chris Edwards, stay with this food stamp thing. Because I think the whole group, you know, constellation of what I would call social welfare spending, right, food stamps, housing subsidies, uh, what we used to call welfare, um, Medicaid, certainly, aren't they all rising substantially in these 
Biden budgets, and they have not, Chris, as far as I know, restored workfare or work requirements. That's right. So uh, school lunch, you know, spending is way up. Old fashioned welfare called AFDC uh, is up. All these new health care tax credits are up. Medicaid's up. You want to know something really stunning about food stamps that I don't think is is widely publicized enough. So 127 billion in benefits this year. One quarter of those benefits go to junk food, cola, potato chips, and the like. The USDA, which runs the program, kept this hidden for many years. And then a group of healthcare journalists pressured them, and they finally released the data. A quarter of food stamp spending is junk food. This is stunning at a time when we've got an obesity epidemic in this country. And I raise that example to show that, you know, people often say, oh, you want to cut food stamps. It's terrible. It's going to hurt low-income folks. But a lot of these programs have a huge amount of waste in them if you start looking. There's no way in heck, in my view, that taxpayers ought to be funding 20 or $30 billion a year for junk food. So that's the type of savings I think we can make across the federal budget. i tell you what, Chris, you know, um, to me, look, like you, I want to, you know, put a put a spending collar on all this stuff. But I think restoring the Bill Clinton, Newt Gingrich workfare, and not just for welfare, AFDC, but for all these social benefit programs, would just be a home run, not not only in terms of economic growth and the health and uh, morale of the nation, but in terms of spending restraint. Because, you know, that would force people, able-bodied people, I'm not talking about people who, you know, are down in their luck and, and have bad health. But able-bodied people should work. They should not be on these benefit, uh, government benefits, right? And if you put them back to work, you'd have less spending and more uh, more revenues, even at low tax rates. That's right. It's a two. It's a twofer, and um, I think that is the type of thing that House House Republicans, yeah. the Freedom Caucus, are are pushing now, yeah. and it is the type of thing that House Republicans ought to demand as part of this debt limit, uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know, deal uh, down the road. I did a recent piece at, at Cato where I went back and I looked at the Clinton spending. If you go back to 2000, a year that was the budget was balanced under Clinton mm-hmm. and, and uh, Republican Congress, federal spending 17% of GDP. Mm-hmm. Today it's up to 24.2%. So it's up almost 50%. The government grabs an almost 50% greater share of the economy than just 20 years ago. If we had just held spending – to that 2000 level under Clinton, we, you know, we would the budget would would be balanced. Our our one and a half trillion dollar um, deficit today would have been wiped out, and we would have been paying down debt. So, you know, it's not like we haven't done this before. As you point out, we we know how to do this. Like yeah. in the 90s, you just yeah. hold you you grow the economy, and you hold you hold you have some restraint in spending. I talked to the you know every House Republican, Chris, and I just uh, had a note from Jason Smith running the ways and means about this workfare provision, because I don't know that they, in the first go around, I don't know that they can actually roll back spending to uh, FY 22. I mean, it would be a good thing, but I'm not sure they can, but I do think workfare. And I think Biden's will fight that tooth and nail. They don't want workfare. They want, you know, unlimited government. I mean, isn't that what the Biden's want? Unlimited government, the, Chris, the Bidens would love the government to take over the banks, just like they'd like the government to take over everything else. I mean, it, that's what the yeah, central planners want. But you put in workfare, you stop all that. 
And that would yeah, be so a great thing. I, I agree uh, with that. And I also think, you know, I, I, I uh, you know, last and first out in corporate uh, inventories. Why not a last and first out for these recent um, jumps in program spending? Oh, why can't we at right. least get spending back to the 2019 level? So that means, you know, cutting stuff like this excessive uh, student aid and college loan, the school lunch, the food stamps, and all the other, you know, spending that we've added just in the past four right. years. You want to know what's done? I got to get out. Yeah, okay. Chris Edwards of Cato does some of the finest work on the budget, folks, you will ever see. Chris Edwards of Cato. I'm Cudlow. I'm just along for the ride. But we're going to take a break. And on the other side of the break, we're going to do some stock market work. Stay with us, please. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. By the way, during the week, please join us on the Fox Business Network. The name of the show is Kudlow, 4 to 5 p.m. every day. And if you can't make it at 4 for some crazy reason, just text your favorite 9-year-old, and she will show you how to DVR the show. Now, let's go to our guests and do some stock market work. Nancy Tengler, CEO and CIO of Laffer Tengler Investments. She's an author, USA Today columnist, and she's just downright really super smart. And Kenny Polcari, my old pal, managing partner at Case Capital and chief market strategist at Slate Stone Wealth. Uh, I'm just looking at this, see, the Dow Jones this week. What did I actually, for the week it was up, it was up nicely. So I want to know, um, I'll start with you, Nancy Tengler, banking crisis, banking crisis. Is it over? Is it calmer? Is the I, I mean, I can't even talk about Janet Yellen. One day she wants to bail out everybody. The other day she doesn't. Then she comes back and she does. But, I mean, I'm just interested. What is your take on the so-called banking crisis? Yeah. Oh, boy. Well, um, I think that the market is starting to take things into its own hands. I think that the credibility of not just uh, the Treasury Secretary but also – uh, Chairman Powell in his press conference, I, I think investors are starting to, you know, I mean, the two year is telling you that they're they're going to have to cut. Uh, if the reason is recession, uh, we, we probably agree with that. But I think for the most part, and I'd love to hear what Kenny has to say about this, I think for the most part, um, the, the bank crisis uh, will be muted from here, uh, that the large banks are in great shape. We're going to bail in everybody out anyway, so what the hell does it matter? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so well, that, I, that's I, what I, uh, Yellen finally said, by the way, on Thursday. She yeah. came back to it. It's, it's, it's just so great. Anyway, I'm sorry. I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt. No, no, that's all. I, so, so I'm, I mean, I'm optimistic about other things. I'm worried about other things. This one, I think um, they've taken all the risk off the table, participation trophies for everyone. <laughs> and uh, if, if you're a bank manager, you really don't have to be any good at what you do. You <laughs> just have to show up for work I, every day. I love that. Well, Kenny Pocari, I want to ask you the same thing. <laughs> Whether banks can do anything they want and the government's going to bail them out, is the crisis over? But also, Nancy mentioned something very important, the two-year note. 377. The Fed funds rate is going to move up to five. But the two-year note has fallen so much, and the 10-year note has fallen so much. So the curve is totally inverted. The short end is inverted. The long end is inverted. And I'm not sure I've seen anything quite like this, uh, Ken Polcari, and I don't. what does it mean to you? So, listen, I got a couple of things. I think Nancy's spot on. I think the whole banking thing got 
really overblown and they created hysteria uh, in, the, in the whole system where there was where there really wasn't any, I don't think. Specific, specific banks, yeah, we saw what happened, but that doesn't affect the whole the whole sector. And to Nancy's point, I think this, I think the banking system in this country and really the global system is fine, right? Yes. Do I think she came out and basically said we're backstopping everyone? She did, and then she didn't, and then she did again, mm-hmm. uh, hitting all the confusion. But I think that's I think that's at least temporary. I think they'll do that now until we get through this and it comes down. Then I think they'll revisit what those rules are and what the risk should be and all that stuff. But I do think for now. They will, and I think the I think the market is beginning to understand that. Look what happened on Friday. We were getting clocked Friday morning in the pre-market because the rumor about Deutsche Bank, mm. Europe Bank is lower, but we, you know, we while we started lower, we rallied into the bell because I think people are investors uh, and traders are realizing that um, that the system is is fine. Now to the point about the treasuries, did you see the news that Jimmy uh, Jimmy Bullitt from uh, St. Louis told Bloomberg I think on Friday that he sees the terminal rate still going to. 5.625%, yep. which is up from where we are at 5%. Uh, and he was joined by Barkin and, uh, and Atlanta's Ravi Bostic, all saying inflation remains the story and that the banking crisis will solve itself. But inflation, the Fed should remain focused. So while the bond market is telling us one thing, you're hearing confusing and conflicting data out of, you know, these Fed heads that are all part of the FOMC committee. Well, that's a really important point. It's a super important point, Nancy. It's like I had this conversation a little bit with John Carney earlier in the show. These uh, Treasury rates plunging are telling a completely different story than Jay Powell uh, or Jim Bullard or a lot of the Fed heads. Completely different. I mean, plunging rates mean what? Recession, lower inflation, uh, you're going to slash rates. But what right. Powell's saying is the economy's still got strength, inflation is still a problem, and we're going to raise rates some more. I mean, basically, he signaled another quarter point. I think you would agree with that. So yeah. that's a big disconnect, and investors are kind of caught in this crossfire. Yeah, no. I mean, Larry, he also said he thought there was still a path uh, to, to soft landing, which I guess he sort of has to say. But I mean, I, I gave up listening. You know, I, I was listening to that segment and, and I said the very same thing to you and on your show. I just wish he would stop talking because what what he says from meeting to meeting is is contradictory. And then there's no there's no look back. Oh, I, I know I said that. There's no acknowledgement of all the myriad mistakes that this group has made and really led by him, starting with, um, you know, the, the uh, 2020 Jackson Hole meeting where they decided to become data dependent. How well did that work out? Mm. Um, and, you know, we're not going to raise. We're not even thinking about thinking about it. Uh, no, we're not taking 75 base points off the table. Then we get a 75 base point hike. I mean, I, I think, listen, I can't speak for the market. But it looks to me like the bond market, which has pretty much led him all the way through this, by the way. Remember, the, the yields were rising long before he raised rates a year ago. And so I, I think the market is just the bond vigilantes are in charge and he's uh, along for the ride. I, I think he kind of signaled that it may be one or maybe none uh, going forward. It's, it's hard to tell because it'll change tomorrow. You know, I, think he, I think he signaled that potentially – May is May. They're going to pause. They're not going to do a rate act, but that doesn't mean come June or July that they won't continue raising. And I think a lot's going to depend on this week's PCE, which is their favorite inflation gauge, and next month April CPI and PPI. I just um, when I was in that game, 
full-time at Bear Stearns a long time ago, I used to think that these market rates led the Fed. And you had Fed chairs, you had Volcker and Greenspan, who I think looked at markets to inform them. And I would add to that, kids, like the CRB Commodity Index uh, has been flat to down now for a year. The M2 money supply is falling, all right? The, right. Not just the growth rate, but actually the level is falling. Mm-hmm. Uh, the level of deposits are falling. Or to go to the economic numbers, the index of leading indi- indicators is crashing. So it's like, and that seems to be what the bond market is saying, but the Fed is being stubborn. I mean, so is this, yeah. what are they going to have, Nancy, they just have to surrender the Fed or and just say, like, we were totally wrong or what? Well, I think so. I think yeah. finally, yes. I mean, you know, he gave us the 2018 bear market, too. Let's not forget. And flip flopped pretty quickly on that one. Mm-hmm. So you're absolutely right. Leading economic indicators have been down 10 months in a row. The manufacturing PMIs have rolled over. Um, every metric, M2, as you mentioned, is negative. Um, BAA spreads now are widening, and we've seen durable goods come down a couple months in a row. Mm-hmm. So I think what, what the data are telling us is that the, the economy is slowing, and it's slowing quickly. And, you know, I know that the Fed GDP now number is still at 3.2%. That may continue into the second quarter, but um, I, we, we have believed all along that we were going to see a slowing economy uh, and a recession. Uh, we think this year it doesn't really matter. Um, and so we've positioned our portfolios accordingly, but uh, it's, it's the credit, there's a real credibility problem, not just with the Fed, but across government. And I'll just say this very quickly. Today's Wall Street Journal editorial, we wrote a piece uh, last August called Washington Hopium, where we talked about huh. how, how fraudulent the CBO estimates were on the IRA, yep. the Inflation, Inflation Reduction Act. But you, all you have to do is go back to the Student Loan Act or the Student Loan Bill. Department of Education came out at the time and said you were gonna earn, they were going to earn $6 per $100 less. 25 years later, they lose an average of almost $9 per $100 lent. Mm. That's a hell of a delta, $114 billion, you know, profit expected. to. But the reality is $197 billion in losses. So I don't believe anything any of these folks say, and that's that's what's made this market very challenging. You know, that's a good point, though. Uh, So the IRA bill could be three times as expensive as they suggested. In round numbers, the estimate's $400 billion, and Goldman saves $1.2 trillion. By the way, Goldman's not the only one. The Penn Wharton model looked at it. I don't remember what they got to, but it was much higher than the CBO. And then you have the student loan bailout, which I think the CBO is estimating $250 billion or something. But actually, they the, call it a trillion. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> well, Penn Wharton said $500 billion to a trillion. So I, you know, it, this is part of the craziness. I mean, Kenny, do you still trade uh, commodities? You still do any of that stuff or derivatives? No, I really don't. Yeah. Right? I mean, I commodities via, you know, gold via uh, uh, through stocks, not yeah. commodities. Uh, well, gold's had a big rally. What do you make of that gold and you silver rally? Actually, gold is going higher, right? I think gold is gold and treasuries are the ultimate safety play. You saw that last week. They took gold up fifty dollars on Thursday when. When the uh, when we had all that continued ongoing angst over Jenny Yellen, and that's when they sold, that's uh, so when they bought treasuries and yields plummeted, right? Um, and so I think those are the two safety plays. I can 
continue to think that gold is going to perform well and go higher. I actually look for 2100 at the end of the year, which we might actually get to pretty soon. Wow. Uh, wow. <laughs> now you're saying it's a haven of safety. It's not an inflation indicator. Well, listen, I think in this case, I think it's much more a safety trade. People, you know, when, when all that confusion in the market, I think people go to where they feel they're going to get the most safety. And traditionally, gold is one of those asset classes that benefits from the fear factor, right, from the, from the, from the, from the chaotic factor. You ever, buy, uh, you, know, you ever buy the gold stuff, Nancy? Yeah, we, we actually have a metals and miners strategy. We, we call oh. it the clean energy infrastructure strategy, and it's hedged. Oh, oil. So right. There's there's the cynic in me, but um, yeah, we we do. We own most all of the metals and most and the miners of those metals. Um, so uh, Kenny's right. I mean, we think gold. We think actually copper. Silver, um, you know, lithium, those are where some of our, I mean, that's really where our emphasis is. Yeah, you were in, talking, in right, you were talking on the TV show about that. And, you know, then comes this editorial and the whole report. Actually, somebody from the, the Hill uh, staff sent me this. Um, I mean, they're put this, the tax credits are virtually unlimited. So yeah. all the so-called green energy commodity stuff is probably a terrific play. I mean, they're going to investors could put in a trillion dollars or more. Well, what the heck? Uncle Sam yeah, is funding supply. it exactly, and then supply is limited. Well, I don't even know what that stuff is. Kenny Polcari, have you ever seen that stuff? You ever seen no, lithium? I, I don't know what it looks. What does it look like? No, I haven't. But the next point, and I agree. <laughs> Lithium is going to be one of those places that is going to be a huge beneficiary of what's coming down the pipe, right? While it's while you know you have a lot of back and forth over energy and electric vehicles, the fact is they are coming. We know they're coming. We're still very much in the infant stages, and I think lithium is uh, is a place that's going to see a lot of lot of action. Ken Carry, you own an electric car? I do not own an electric car, and I'll tell you why. Because <laughs> I know I, I live in a condo now. I don't have a garage, so I don't have any place to park. <laughs> I have to go around the to a parking lot and sit there for two and a half hours and charge. I got no interest. Ah, Nancy, you own an electric car? <laughs> I own an F one fifty, Larry, and I drive it with impunity. But is, I, I can't do. Is it the I EV? Can't. Is it the EV version no. or the gasoline version? No, it's gas. Because when I go back and forth to Tahoe, I, sure. I, it's a 14-hour drive. So, like, like Kenny, I'm not going to sit there. And you know, I love that. I would there. love to see you in a Ford 150. That is so you cool. That is so. That is so totally cool. I love that. I can just I see you. I have a picture, my phone of her driving the truck. I should say. <laughs> I just love that. The best part is watching me try to get in and out with my five-inch heels yeah. on. Well, it's like I know you got to, and it's like putting your your feet in the stirrups of a horse. You just got to pull yourself up. No, no, but that's yeah. a wonderful mother of a truck. It's fat. I have a five-six-year-old Lincoln Navigator, the long one. I, I keep nice. it. In, I keep it in Connecticut. It's gas-powered. It works. Yeah. I don't know. I like it. Um, I'm not buying an EV either. Anyway, we're going to have to take a break. This conversation is wandering. That's what we do here. <laughs> Nancy Tangler, CEO and CIO of uh, Laffer Tangler Investments, Kenny Polcari from Case Capital and Slate Stone Wealth, two of the best of the best. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show on 77 WABC. 
station built just for you. Entertaining talk, information, and New York opinions. You are a ball of fire there. The world famous and American original. Talk Radio 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. Take it from me, Sid. Water damage can destroy your home. It happened to me. What a nightmare. Meet Wazens, advanced systems for leak detection and water savings. Wazens enables you to monitor water usage from your smartphone. Go to Wazens.net for more info. Wazens detects leaks and saves you water. Get an alert to your mobile and the water can be shut off immediately from anywhere. Because response time is crucial. Go to Wazens.net. That's W-A-S-E. ENS.net. Avoid a disaster. I'm Sid Rosenberg, and this is Ocean Drive in Coney Island. Direct access to the beach and boardwalk. 24-7 attended lobby, folks. It's gorgeous. Ocean Drive is now leasing. Call 718-449-7873. OceanDriveNYC.com. Balance of nature. Changing the world one life at a time. I've actually been in fitness for a long time. I just thought, well, you know what? I'm a little tired during the day. And that was one of the main things I was having. It's like, oh, man, you know, I'm just give this a shot. And, and so I started the balance of nature, and I didn't really feel a lot for a couple of weeks. And then all of a sudden, I had energy. And so for me, I was like, oh, my gosh, it took that kind of tiredness away. So now I don't feel that. So that is huge. And so I was just like, I cannot take this tiredness. But now it's gone. So, yeah, I love the balance of nature for that. Start your journey to better health with Balance of Nature. Call 1-800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com to get 35% off your first preferred order. That's 1-800-246-8751. Go to balanceofnature.com or call 1-800-246-8751 and get this special offer by using discount code WABC. Hi, this is John Katsimatidis Jr. Make sure to get my dad's new book, How Far Do You Want to Go? Lessons from a Common Sense Billionaire. I'm lucky enough to learn from him every day, and now you can too. Read my book, and you'll find out how to make your first billion. Available now at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. To get a signed copy, go to WABCRadioStore.com. Well, he is Greek-American. He's a New Yorker. It's a great American success story. He's involved in a number of businesses. He's a great role model. He's got plenty of ideas on how to bring change. Tomorrow at 8 a.m., it's the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. Getting you both sides of the story with New York sensibility. Tomorrow at 8 a.m., it's the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis on Talk Radio 77. WABC. Back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow with two experts on the economy and the stock market. Nancy Tangler, CEO and CIO of Laffer Tangler Investments. Kenny Polcari, Case Capital Advisors and Slate Stone Wealth. Uh, Kenny, what are you doing? I mean, I got to give my <laughs> listeners some sense of what the hell to go on here. What are you doing, buddy? So listen, I after all the chaos we've seen, I am really, really interested in the regionals, right? Again, you saw what's happened to a lot of these regional names that got absolutely slaughtered, a lot of them getting dragged in for no reason other than they're just getting dragged in, right? So Western Alliance and your community bank. I mean, look what happened there. That sold off 35% since March 6th. And then after the news out that they were going to buy the assets of Silicon Valley, they took it right up 40%. Mm. It was a huge opportunity because of an overreaction, I think. Mm-hmm. The same goes for Western Alliance is another uh, name that I like to look at in that space, just because 
I think the chaos has created tremendous opportunity. You want to invest or buy First Republic? You're putting a syndicate together to buy First Republic? You know, it's funny. First Republic is now the poster child of everything that's wrong, right? So that one I'm just watching. Maybe at some point I would put a a group together, but right now I'm just watching. I, I could see you living out there. Uh, you know, the Silicon Valley Bank, by the way, it was a rogue bank. It was never a real bank. A rogue bank, right? Hillary Clinton investors, climate change, left-wing, Alvin Bragg-type management, and the San Francisco Fed knew all about it, and they didn't do a damn thing. All right? That's my statement. I, I don't know that First Republic is that bad. But I think they have a lot of bad real estate. In fact, Nancy Tangler, that is that an issue? So Ken Carey is going to scoop up all the regional banks because they're cheap. And he may be right. He may be dead right. He's done this in the past. But I am worried not only the bond portfolio, but just for a moment, the loan portfolio of a lot of these banks. What about commercial real estate? Everybody keeps telling me it's going south. I don't know that, but that's what everybody keeps telling me, especially the two coasts, New York and California. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I think it's a real risk, and so you have to geographically pick your your spots. But thirty eight percent of of loans at a median bank are commercial lend, lending loans mm-hmm. and we, and real estate loans, and we know that sorry, commercial real estate loans, and we know that you know a lot of those those properties are underwater. So you know, it's often the case that you want to take the big bets, as Kenny's arguing during periods of stress. I, we've been underweight the banks. We we own some clearly. Our super regional is PNC, and we may add to that, but we're not going to dip in. And I, I just think there's too many other places mm. uh, that I'd rather be in this environment. And like and what? So, like what? Well, so so like the metals. Um, and and we just uh, added some uh, holdings. I think I mentioned this on your show in in American Express and Chubb. Mm. And we've added to to some. We've taken some gains on our technology holdings, which I've been talking about for six months. You have to add it back in. We did. They appreciated, and so we've sold Microsoft and Salesforce, and we're just redeploying very carefully uh, in into companies that we think can generate reliable earnings in this coming slowdown in economic growth. I mean, what about what we used to call economic sensitive sectors and stocks? You know, cyclical stocks, consumer discretionary, yeah. industrials, that kind of stuff. Uh, what's that yeah. stuff been doing, and, and is it worth anything? Yeah, I mean, we're overweight. The industrials have been one of the best performers in the market. Mm. Uh, we're, we're overweight that group. And then we've been adding to consumer discretionary as well. So names like Chipotle, McDonald's in our dividend growth portfolio, Target, Tesla was one of our holdings we picked up in early January. Mm. Uh, we, we took a nice run in that. That, that was luck. That'll never happen again, but we added to it a little bit recently on the pullback. So we like consumer discretionary. Retail related, consumer related, I'm just looking at the stock sheets, have done pretty well. I mean, let me see. Mm-hmm. Consumer discretionary year to date plus 9.6%. Uh, right. S&P 500 retailers, not quite as good, but I think 3.4%. I'm looking at home yeah. builders. S&P 500 home builders up 14.3%. Wow. Can you pull Kerry, what do you make of that? I thought housing yeah. was in the tank. You know, that confuses me a little bit uh, about the home bills, although as a group, they got clocked in 2022. So, you know, you, some of that is also a bargain hunting as people try to look through uh, the next four or five months. But I'm still confused because I think rates are going to continue to go higher and then mortgage rates are going to stay higher. Although what you're hearing now from all new home builders is suddenly I heard last week, people are getting, as you know, 
they're getting freebies, right? So they're getting upgrades in the kitchen. They're getting upgrades in the bathroom. They're getting mm. upgrades in the flooring. They're getting, so they're giving away, and Lennar, I think, is one of them that's buying down your rate because mm. they've got their own mortgage company. They're buying down the rate to give people a little bit of an edge, right? So they were talking about 4.9% mortgage rates after Lennar buys it down. Um, the only problem, problem is, though, you buy a house because yeah, of Joe Biden. Because of Joe Biden, you, you can't have an air conditioner, a toilet bowl. You can't have a shower head. It's very difficult to buy a home without all these appliances. You can't have a washer and a dryer. Just kidding. You know what I'm talking about. Nancy Tengler and Ken Paul Carey, great stuff. Neither of them owns an electric vehicle, and neither do I. I'm Cudlow, folks. Money and politics. Next up with uh, Monica Crowley and Steve Moore. The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to talk some money and politics with Monica Crowley, former assistant secretary of the Treasury, author and columnist, and runs the Monica Crowley podcast. It is the most exclusive podcast in America. And Steve Moore, Freedom Works, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline, and his great radio show, More Money, WABC, follows... This show on most of these very same stations. Well, welcome, kids. Monica Crowley, welcome. I want to ask you a simple question. Isn't it time to just throw TikTok out of this country? (laughs) Well, it's great to be back with you, Larry, as always, and with our dear friend Steve Moore. What a treat on a Saturday afternoon. And to answer your question about TikTok, yes, absolutely, we need to dispense with TikTok. It's long past time. You know, the uh, Chinese have been very, very clever over many decades with what they call unrestricted warfare against the United States and the West. Our enemies always tell us who they are, what they believe, and what they intend to do. And back in the 90s, they talked about unrestricted warfare, political, economic, military, cultural But one of the things that we didn't see coming from the CCP were these kinds of uh, surveillance apps that would be highly addictive, would lock in our young people um, in droves and addict them to the kind of uh, content that they're putting out. And uh, they have uh, really fashioned TikTok into a Trojan horse. This is a weapon. This is a surveillance tool of the CCP. And for people, especially young people, Larry and Steve, who say, hey, I'm nobody prominent. I don't really care if the Chinese have all of my data. What do I care? Well, you should care because we are in a soft, cold war with the Chinese that is rapidly accelerating and may very well go kinetic very soon, whether it's over Taiwan or even over the United States homeland. We see spy balloons and everything else. Um, So we know that the Chinese are really ramping up. Uh, for war yeah. with the United States, a hot war. So you should care, and everybody should be taking TikTok off their phone immediately. And I do believe that there is bipartisan support, Larry and Steve, for a nationwide ban well, on Well, I TikTok. hope so. I think you're right about the surveillance app. I think that's the key point. I mean, Steve Moore, you know, ByteDance is up to its eyeballs. ByteDance that owns TikTok is up to its eyeballs. Uh, in the Chinese Communist Party's, you know, military system, surveillance system, uh, as Monica suggested. 
And the other point is you can't, first of all, they, they don't want to sell. I mean, the Chinese said this this week. So they had their lobbyists go on the Hill and try to sweet talk everybody. I think the guy failed miserably. Uh, actually, they came over to Fox. He came to Fox. I, I couldn't do it because uh, I had some <laughs> I had some commitments. But um, I want to throw him out. And on Monica's point about surveillance, you know, the surveillance, you know, they it's not only um, personal information. It's who you are, where you are. It's geographic information. They love geographic information. This is what Huawei tried to do. Uh, with our military bases before we threw Huawei out. And, of course, they send the kids really bad messages, all these stories about uh, TikTok app kids uh, who do very bad things and who get hurt and who die. So I just, I mean, there should be a universal effort to get rid of TikTok, Steve Moore. Well, I very, very seldomly disagree with you and Monica, but um, I'm very pro-choice when it comes to TikTok. If people want to, I know my wife, she, she's on that, that app all the time. Um, and people should be aware of all the problems. And by the way, I completely agree with you about the threats from China. There's no question about it that we are in a cold war and maybe soon a hot war with China. Um, but, you know, this, this surveillance information, guess what? Google has that. Apple has it. Um, and so if you're worried about people's um, civil liberties and things, it's not just TikTok. It's all of these um, technologies that have this kind of application. So do I want to ban TikTok? No, I don't. But I do want people to be aware of, uh, um, of you know, the dangers that you're talking about. Um, but let, let consumers decide. But remember, just one point, Google and Apple aren't Chinese communist countries. That is companies. true. That is true. I mean, and, you know, you and I, Larry, have had this conversation. I, I think the only way that China, that TikTok will be able to go forward as, you know, this is a company that has, you know, a $100 billion valuation is if they completely um, have the Chinese divest and then the ownership of it. But um, for one reason or another, they don't want to do that. So, it's a complicated issue to me, and I, I will uh, agree that you know a lot more about it than I do, Larry, because you were at, you were in some of those CFIUS meetings, yep. as I recall. Yep. So, you know, so that's my position. Monica, I mean, I don't know if you've studied it, but I'm going to tell you, we looked at we, the Trump administration, uh, which wanted to get rid of it. We looked at the idea, which was proposed by some people in the private sector. You know, if you could just sell ByteDance, everything would be okay. But everything's not okay because TikTok is wired through software and Chinese will never let go of that. They will never let go of that. And we had people, we had companies like Microsoft looking at it and they couldn't figure out how to do it. Now, maybe some genius could figure out how to disconnect it from China. But I have my doubts and I don't know why we would take that risk. Yeah, you're exactly right. And remember, I was at Treasury at the time that CFIUS, uh, the, the CFIUS review was underway. Larry, you were in all of those meetings, Secretary Mnuchin, et cetera. Yep. And it, it is a very complicated issue because the Chinese have really crafted a sophisticated Trojan horse here mm. with TikTok. So these conversations did happen in the latter part of the Trump administration with companies like Microsoft and Oracle yep. as well. Ari yep. Ellison uh, yep. sort of stepped up and said, look, I, I'll take a close look at this. But the algorithms, the software, it's also intricately tied. Mm-hmm. Even with American ownership, there's no real guarantee, or at least we couldn't figure out 
a real guarantee to make sure it was an American company and, and with a lock on it so there was no backdoor way for the CCP and the PLA to gain access to all of that data. This is a really, really serious issue. Chinese are extremely clever. And keep in mind, guys, you know, I, I am a libertarian about this stuff too, Steve, but nobody saw this kind of technology coming, you know, and you wouldn't right. want to give our premier enemy a real backdoor. In China, TikTok, especially as it's targeted to their youth, is full of rainbows and puppies. The content on the TikTok that they are feeding into our children is really, really destructive. It's addictive and it's destructive. So this is a way for them to really undermine our youth, undermine the next generations. And it's just another huge lever for them to try to take down the United States. I mean, Steve, it's like it's not like it's just, you know, playing music. It's uh-huh. it's it's I mean, it's it's more it's not even it is a surveillance device. You know, we looked at some of these. Uh, Monica talked about um, the algorithms. There's there's a word, a technological word called virtualization, which has to do with a lot of this. Uh, has to do with G three, uh, with G five five G, but it also has to do uh, with these um, uh, surveillance systems, sound systems, where you cannot. In other words, the rapid rapid computerization is so closely connected to the content producer and the part of the system that communicates it, that you cannot separate them anymore. You could separate them once upon a time, but you cannot. The speed is so fast, and it is virtual, and it's, it's like there's no – you can't even take a breath. And that's why selling – I mean, maybe, you know, maybe Oracle could figure out some way to, to separate it out effectively mm-hmm. in a, you know, the system sense – uh, in the algorithm sense, but they couldn't. I don't know. When we looked at it two years ago, they couldn't. They were willing to try and they're willing to invest money in it, but they couldn't. I haven't seen anything in the testimony uh, mm-hmm. that suggests that's changed. I mean, it, when Monica calls TikTok a Trojan horse, I think she's got it. I mean, I think that nails it. It's a Trojan horse. Yeah. The big question here, you know, is whether this rapid technology and movement towards artificial intelligence and all of these things are going to be pro-freedom or uh, endangerments to our freedom. And Mm. by the way, I don't even want the United States government to have all of this information about me and my whereabouts. And so uh, I I guess my point is it's not just TikTok we would have to worry about. I think it's Google and these other kinds. By the way, I'm very Mm pro-technology. The only other thing I would say about this is, um, you know, there is, there's a lot of bad stuff on, on TikTok, but you know what? There's a lot of bad stuff on Facebook. There's a lot of bad stuff on a lot of these, you know, American companies. And I do agree as a parent of five kids that there is an addictive uh, feature to these to these games. And, and I find that really, really troubling. But I still think the parents are the one who should be kind of regulating this, not the government. Mm. Monica, before we take a break, I'll give you the last word. <laughs> Yeah, look, uh, we're we're fighting new kinds of wars in the 21st century, and, and not all of the aspects of this war with the CCP is direct and military and economic. Um, they've found really clever ways to, to get into this country and take us down from within. 
which remember, guys, all of this started as a KGB operation in the 1930s to infiltrate the United States and destroy us from within by grabbing control of all of the main pillars of American society and life, including media, academia, the culture, Hollywood, etc. Soviet Union collapsed. And guess who stepped in and took over the project, the CCP? So I think we have to be really, really on point in terms of trying to anticipate what kinds of threats the CCP is coming at us with, because it, they won't but, all be obvious. Like TikTok. By the way, I'm reading uh, Spy Among Friends by McIntyre, and I'm watching it on TV. It's just absolutely, it's about the Kim Philby story. It's absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. I love, I love spy stories anyway. I don't, I don't like technology. I just like old fashioned spy stories, but I, still, <laughs> but I still want to, I still want to get rid of TikTok. Anyway, Monica Crowley and Steve Moore, stay with us. Got, uh, we'll be right back after this quick message. Larry Kudlow. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm here with Monica Crowley, former Assistant Secretary of the Treasury, author of the Monica Crowley Podcast, and Steve Moore of FreedomWorks and the Committee to Unleash Prosperity and More Money, which follows on most of these stations. Um, Let's just take something else here. Alvin Bragg or not, uh, documents, classified documents or not, J6 uh, special counsel or not, uh, Donald Trump's polls are rising. <laughs> they're right, and they're rising a lot. And it's a very interesting story. And Joe Biden's polls are falling, and they're falling a lot. In fact, there was a big story about the Wall Street Journal, University of Chicago poll about pessimism, remarkable pessimism right. under Biden. So, Steve Moore, what do you make of this? <laughs> Trump polls are like shooting up. It's all very interesting. Um, I think people are being reminded of how unfairly Donald Trump has been treated um, by the media and by the government and his his uh, left-wing critics from the day he came down that escalator. He's never really had a fair shake in the media. We talked a little bit about this last week on your show, but, you know, the first two years of his presidency was totally dominated by one story in the media, and that was the Russia collusion hoax, mm-hmm. which they never, by the way, if they, Monica, have they ever apologized for that? I don't think never. So. Never, and they've all kept their Pulitzer Prizes as well. <laughs> exactly. Yes. You know, I think people are, you know, people who are just, you know, Trump is obviously a very polarizing figure. There are people like me who love him, and then there are my family members who hate him. But um, I think Americans are fair-minded people for the most part, and they see how absurd and outrageous this is. And these, these um Hate Trump people, they can't stop themselves. He's been out of office for two years, and all they think about is Donald Trump. Mm. That's right. that's about right. That's about right. That's, and every word he says, and everything he sends out. Uh, but Monica, I think there's. I'm reading this uh, poll about the incredible pessimism in America. Uh, most of that is centered around the economy and inflation, worries about the future. Not all of it. I mean, some of it was. Culturally, they don't want to send their kids to colleges anymore. But I think it has something to do with inflation and the economy, Monica, and maybe other things. Trump, you know, he did it once. Maybe he can do it a second time. Actually, Donald Trump brought back the U.S. economy twice before so he could do it a third time. Mm. Remember, he brought it back when he first came in. 
into the presidency. And then he brought it back after the unprecedented wholesale shutdown of the U.S. economy after COVID. Remember, when he turned over this U.S. economy to Joe Biden, it was about, what, 6 percent growth? Um, So we were booming back and inflation was at 1.4%. So he handed him a very strong, growing rebound. And of course, Biden and the Democrats torpedoed it on purpose. The, The other point, too, about a thriving economy is, you know, prior to Donald Trump, we had to reach back in memory to the Reagan years for a really strong, booming economy, right? Well, now people only have to reach back two, two and a half years to remember what it was like under President uh, Trump with all of the pro-growth economic policies from tax cuts, regulatory relief, fair trade deals, unleashing our great energy sector, all the great stuff that the two of you worked on um, as economic advisors and then what we worked on at Treasury. People don't have to go back that far with their lived experience just, you know, two, two and a half years ago. So I think that contrast is really stark in most people's minds. And now they can't afford a dozen eggs. You want to pay $25 to make yourself an omelet at home? It's absolutely insane. Gas prices, home heating, fuel, energy, Mm. all of it across the board that directly affect the American people every single day, their cost of living, their quality of life. And then you add that to crime well, and cities and collapse well, in the wide me, open border, and people have had enough. Let me get Steve Moore. One one part of this polling story, though, is that Trump seems to be pulling away from the rest of the Republican field, mm-hmm. including mm-hmm. Governor DeSantis. I don't have any against Governor DeSantis. I'm just saying, DeSantis has a book tour, goes around the country, does a lot of Fox uh, News interviews, and his numbers went down. Trump's numbers went up, and um, I find that surprising. Yeah, look, I'm I'm not picking a winner this time. I mean, I'm not, not, you know, I'm going to be pretty neutral in this, although I I do have a great, great personal affection for Donald Trump. Um, It is interesting. And, you know, look, Sanders had a huge, huge victory this week, gigantic victory. Um, They got universal school choice done Mm. in three weeks in Florida, which is an issue we've been working on as a movement for 40 years. And so um, he has a great, great list of accomplishments. I think he made a big mistake. Larry in attacking Trump this mm-hmm. week. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I just yeah. I think, you know, mm-hmm. uh, it was stupid. Don't get in the sewer you know, with Trump. And so I think that. Uh, but look, I want to see them all on the stage, mm-hmm. just like we did in 2016. And let's see how they perform. You know, let's see. You know, we've got a lot of great Republican governors. We've got a lot of, you know, uh, so I just want to see this thing played out. But I'll tell you, there is a massive <clears throat> Uh, you know, the Coke Network and uh, other groups that I won't mention, they're completely infatuated and obsessed with stopping Trump. Right. And the more they kind of gang up on him, right. the more real middle class Americans say, we're not going to these millionaires and billionaires tell us who our candidate is. Yep. Uh, so it's going to be really an interesting thing to see. And look, I do worry as a Republican that uh, whether Trump could win. Given, you know, there are so many independents who've turned against them, but let's see it play out. But we all want, and this is the last thought for here. Yeah. We want to see them, all right, on stage, as you say. What is their economic platform? Right. Yep. Be- because, you know, you, yeah. you read this Wall Street Journal story uh, with the University of Chicago poll about over incredible pessimism. Most of it, two-thirds of it, 65%, I think they said 67% is about inflation, the economy. 
So, Monica, I want to see, a, you know, a fair fight. What is the economic platform of all these candidates, Donald Trump, and Ron DeSantis, uh, Nikki Haley, whoever's in the race? And I think that's going to be very, very important for Republican voters and for independent voters and for all voters. It's going to be critical. And look, you do have successful governors like Ron DeSantis Mm -hmm. who have presided over thriving states. But here again, Donald Trump has a huge advantage because four years of president delivered a booming economy. And he did it through, like we said, those those pro-growth economic policies that people really benefited from across the board. This was a very inclusive boom. It was a blue-collar boom. It raised all ships. Uh, African-Americans, Latinos, women, Americans with disabilities, historically low unemployment rates. So all Donald Trump really has to do on the economy is basically stand there, point to his record. No, no, no. He's got it. Catastrophic record. No, no, no. I don't agree. I'm going to do it again. He can. Yes, he he should. By the way, he should have been pointing to his great achievements the last two years. But he's going to have to give a future agenda, Steve Moore. He's going to have to, you know, on spending on trade, on taxes, there are issues. You know there are issues. Uh, He's very much of a protectionist, and he does not have a good record on federal spending. He has a fabulous record on cutting taxes and cutting regulations, Uh, maybe not so much on the dollar, but you see where I'm going. And I I have not, and also I've not heard, Ron, Governor DeSantis on economic agenda. I'm waiting to hear. I just don't know. And I, I, I think, right. you know, I agree with Monica on the achievements part, but I think the country wants to look forward, right forward. What are you going to do? No one knows for sure. Uh, this is a Kellyanne Conway issue. She sees it in her polling, for example. I think it's part of this uh, Wall Street Journal thing. The future looks pessimistic now. you got to change that in order to win, Steve. Yeah, I, I think you put it very well the other day on your show that Americans are just unhappy. Right. That's <laughs> right. That's right. That's right. The they're country. unhappy and, campers. Yeah. Yeah. And they're not um, they're not stupid. They mm-hmm. see the the path that we're on. You know, so when Biden is going out on this big victory tour mm-hmm. this week on the economy, I'm like, are you kidding me? Yeah. I mean, when you've got one out of three Americans that think the country's headed in the right direction, you're going to go out and, and have a mission accomplished. That's absurd. I do worry a little bit, Larry. Again, I love Trump, but I didn't like his his uh, his message on trade. Right. Came out with it was very protectionist, right. and I know my friend, our mutual friend Art Laffer, was not happy about that either. So, can you please steer him back? Well, he, look, you I, know, you know, in the, there's a difference between China trade and rest of the true. world trade. That's and true. And it's rest of the world trade that I do worry about. Yeah, Monica, no, you know, Mnuchin and I, we were uh, always worried uh, about global trade deals, right? And yeah. China's one thing, but the rest of the I, I don't want a wall of protectionism. At least, yeah, but but remember, remember the president went. President Trump went in and negotiated better trade deals with Japan, with South Korea, yep. and he's yes. working on one yes. with Great Britain as well. So, look, I I don't think you're going to get Trump off of that because it's so intrinsic to his America First platform, right. protecting the American people, the American worker, and manufacturing Cut and taxes. bringing it back here. Cut taxes and good things will happen. 
Monica Crowley, thank you very much. Steve Moore, thanks, folks. Steve Moore's Moore's Money on up next on a lot of these stations, and I'm Kudlow. Back next weekend. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.